Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us no. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. They got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. The adrenaline type creature. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers. Three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. I realized that we made a major faux pas. A serious one. What would that be? On the last episode. We did not follow up on something. Oh, you mean you left us all on a cliffhanger, unresolved. Yeah, 159, I left everybody on a cliffhanger. On a story about whether a story was true or not. (laughs) And that was the story about the man turning himself in to the FBI for killing Abraham Lincoln in 1865. And we were kind of determined... If that story was actually true. So you've been doing research? Did you snope it? I didn't even have to snope it. Oh. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, well, let's, I mean, let's, well, let's read some of the story. <laughs> because of math? Because of math, possibly. <laughs> well, well, this is what the story claims. This is from, I'm sure that this is a really reliable news source, uh, worldnewsdailyreport.com. Oh, yeah. Sure, legit. I mean, I mean, reliable as hell, right? Seventy-one-year-old Timothy Anderson claims he worked for thirty-five years as a time-traveling assassin for a secret governmental agency, and says he has killed people in various times, going from sixteen seventy-eight to twenty-two thirty-nine. The elderly man declared that his actions were all legitimate and ordered by the government, but that his fears, but he fears his former employers might want to eliminate him because he knows too much. Of course. He claims that he was part of a program called the Kronos Project, 
which was designed, coordinated, and executed by the United States Central Intelligence Agency. That's the CIA, in case you didn't know. And the United States Special Operations Forces under the supervision of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. Now, when I knew this story was not true, this is what keyed me off, okay? His story was clearly one of the most fascinating that I have ever heard, said FBI Director James Corney. Oh, that's a fake name. Yeah, because it's James Comey, but they changed it to Corny. And I, I'm I'm thinking they could have gotten this bugshot that purports to be this uh, time traveling assassin from uh, just about anywhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe he does think all this happened though. I mean, maybe this guy is out there and he's got a really interesting story. We should try to track him down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really wanted to. When we talked to time travelers before, we have time travelers, and uh, we need to get that Basiago guy on. I keep saying that, but we should really get him on. The guy who claims he's a time traveler, but yeah, so not a true story. Everybody, I I, I realized that we had completely dropped the ball on that. And I really want to, you know, we're, we try to be, we try to have integrity on this show. So <laughs> I really wanted to just bring that, bring Clear that out. Air. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Rob, how you doing? It's not like I haven't seen you in <clears throat> like, it's been a couple it's, days. It's almost. only been a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing good. Yeah. I understand the- you made some. You made some steak and some shrimp, and you were eating like it was like yes, hog yeah. heaven up in here yesterday. Yesterday was our eleventh anniversary, so I grilled some surf and turf, and it was amazing. Yes, yours and Alyssa's eleventh anniversary. Yeah, not yours and mine. Yes, they're, yeah. are the conspiratorial. We haven't been around that long. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, we don't have Luke. He wanted to go get Herschel tonight. Yes. Which so, I learned means drunk. Yes, apparently. Apparently, Herschel means drunk in some kind of uh, American vernacular that's out there. So we are we are Lukeless as 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 pretty much usual. Uh, that's the uh, that, but he has to keep up that he has to keep up that uh, reputation as the as the uh, mystical or mysterious entity. Right, you know he's right. He's our musician slash poster child. Yes, who yes, occasionally comes and sits in. Yeah, <laughs> sits in and sleeps through the entire. <laughs> or eats, but it is what it is. Uh, but seriously, one thing that I really did want to talk about, and we I kind of wanted to talk about it on the last show, because I think by the time that this show is out, this will actually kind of be old news. But uh, I kind of wanted to talk about Alex Jones a little bit. Now, are you familiar with what's going on with with Alex Jones? <laughs> Just right vaguely. Now? I've I've seen some headlines and it's enough for me to kind of decipher the situation to a certain degree. Like he's At first I thought he was being accused of um kind of just portraying a character all these years, uh-huh. like the the angry little you know, I don't know really how to describe him. Well, the angry Volatile. man against the new world <laughs> order and Right. You know, oddly conservative, but oddly. Well, actually, let me read this first. Okay. And then I'll kind of go into what I think about it and kind of like my kind of love hate for Alex Jones, which I think a lot of people have actually. I just have to, uh, to find it. Um, this is from USA Today. So, yeah, I know mainstream, but, uh, 
Court seeks true persona of InfoWars. InfoWars! Radio provocateur. That's the question at the center of a contentious child custody battle playing out in Travis County Court between the online radio provocateur Alex Jones and his ex-wife Kelly Jones. The radio host's lawyers have characterized his boisterous online persona as quote-unquote performance art and a character he plays. While attorneys for the ex-wife maintain the show as a proof that he's unfit to parent the couple's three children. Kelly Jones is seeking full custody of the children. Jones, who began his career in the early 90s as an Austin-based public access television show host, got a surge of publicity last year during the presidential campaign when then-candidate Donald Trump applauded his work and repeated some of Jones's theories, including allegations that there was widespread voter fraud in the election against Trump. It is surreal to talk about issues here on air and then word-for-word hear Trump say it two days later, Jones said during an August broadcast. But if Jones's signature online rants are more performance and less per- impassioned convictions, it could alter the ego he spent decades building up, said Brian Rosenwald, a University of Pennsylvania lecturer who's working on a book on conservative talk radio. Make a note on that. It also goes to the core of the growing debate about the blurred line between entertainment and information that's defining today's media, he said. It's performance theater. Rosenwald said of the proliferation of popular conservative talk show hosts like Jones, Rush Limbaugh, and others, but if the authenticity of a host is undermined, it could be devastating. A self-proclaimed libertarian, Jones, 43, has built a steady audience the past two decades by trafficking conspiracy theories ranging from the U.S. government blew up the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City in 1995 to the 9-11 terror attacks for an inside job planned and carried out by the federal government. His flagship site, Infowars.com, draws more than 6 million unique global visitors a month, and his YouTube channel has more than 2 million subscribers. Wow. More recently, Jones proliferated the theory that the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, which left 20 children and 6 adults dead, never happened, and that child actors played the roles of the school-age victims. In November, he clarified his stance, stating, I don't know what the truth is. All I know is that the official story of Sandy Hook has more holes in it than Swiss cheese. Earlier this week, Leonard Posner, the father of one of the Sandy Hook victims, 6-year-old Noah, said he would like to be in the courtroom with Jones during his custody battle. Since the theory was floated, Posner and his family have been inundated with threats and harassment from conspiracy theorists who insist his son never existed, he told the Daily Beast. I wish I could be there in the courtroom to stare him down to remind him of how he's throwing salt on a wound and so he can remember how he handed out salt for other people to throw on mine, Posner said in the interview with the online news site. On Thursday, Jones took the witness stand in his custody court case oscillating between backing his courtroom defense of a gentle dad and defending his boisterous online persona. He's fundamentally the same person he is on the radio, he told the court, but none of the bombacity or rage he exudes on air follows him home. I don't want to think about work when I go home, he said. I want to swim in the pool and eat hamburgers. (laughs) Later in the day, during a tense exchange with Bobby Newman, an opposing attorney, Jones emotionally objected to a line of questioning telling Newman, you have no decency, man, zero. You have no decency, man! 
Between hearings, Jones defended his pumped-up persona as genuine and blamed the mainstream media for misconstruing his lawyer's words. I can't even read off a teleprompter, he said in a videotape segment posted to his website. I can't even control myself. Everyone knows it's around here. I'm the opposite of some scripted person. Okay. So, basically, in a nutshell, I think he got a divorce about two or three years ago. From what I had heard at the time, he cheated on his wife with one of the InfoWars women that worked for him, and they got a divorce. So now it's going to like a custody battle, and apparently he has custody of his kids. Apparently... They live on like the ranch or wherever where he also does the show. So his wife is saying that all this stuff that you see online, his rants and his raves that he does, and he does do those. It's like part of his show. It's like he's almost expected to do that shit. Right. So all this is saying is that he is a mentally unstable person and this is not a suitable place for children to live. And but so his lawyers, his lawyers are saying, well, that is a performance art piece. He is a performer that is not indicative of his real personality. So therefore the kids are safe because this is just this is nothing to be taken seriously. Right. So a lot of people have hopped on this and said that, well, Alex Jones, you just can't take a damn thing that he says seriously. Because it's just all an act, and he doesn't actually believe any of it himself, which I don't think is true. Right. No, I don't, and that's why I wanted to kind of jump in and say there's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of points here. But first of all, yeah, just because I mean, I'm sure that the show is sensationalized to a degree because, like you said, people expect it. People yeah. love those outbursts. It helps ratings. It helps all these other things. He's got these, you know, emotional breakdowns, and he cries, and he screams, yes. and he gets all red in yes. the face, and and they're hilarious, <clears throat> by the way. Right, and well, and it's worked well for him, obviously. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the things he's saying and the the information that he's trying to spread is something that he doesn't believe in. Now, yeah, I'm not a big Alex Jones guy because I don't like drama. But they, I mean, you know, I, I do the, a lot of the information on the show, some of it, well, not all of it, but a lot of it I've, I've agreed with throughout the years, some of his points and some of sure. his views and stuff. Um, and I appreciate that there's someone out there trying to get that stuff across, whether I agree with all of his ideas or not. But another side of this is I really don't think that you can submit something like that in court. I mean, if he was coming home and he was doing these things in his kitchen and there was videotape of him talking to his child this way right sure absolutely that's horrible that would be wrong and i could see their point but it's not that's not the case so it's i mean it's hard when you when you take a celebrity and you use aspects of their celebrity nature and try you know to introduce them into like a civil court case like that i i just i can't get behind that well here's the one thing that in a way kind of affects us right you and me doing this right now or anybody else that does podcasting for that matter, or anybody else that's in, that's in the media, you know, are we like, are we, and I mean like the collective, we, are we playing a character basically? 
is our online persona, like our persona on this show, different from the persona that we would connect to the world or, or amongst our friends. In some ways, you'd have to say yes. In some ways, you'd have to say no. Yeah, but th- the same thing goes for when I go to work and I'm more professional. Yeah. That's a different persona that I put on. Right. Um, you know, I'm not sensationalizing anything or sacrificing any integrity in any way by doing so, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it were to come out that he was putting out stories that he did not believe in because they sold well, it would be a totally different case. Yeah. The fact that he's such a good actor that he can get all red-faced and sweaty on command is, I mean, <laughs> that's it, different. And I'm glad you brought that up because there is a little bit of that, I think, somewhere within him. Um, You know, I started listening. I mean, I, I listened to Alex Jones, like, religiously. Like, I'll be honest. Like, the man is probably one of my heroes. I will admit that. You know, because, like, without... Alex Jones kind of turning me on to a lot of different things. I would have never known a lot of the things that I, that I've studied. I mean, bar none. Um, you know, I started listening to him back in like the, I want to say about 2006, 2005, 2006. And a lot of the things that he said just made sense. He wasn't as like, bombastic as he later became mm-hmm. and that you slowly started to see that uh but when he was when bush was in office he was so against bush and he was so against what was going on there and that he would even have people that you would even say that were like quote unquote liberals on the show uh guys like greg palast or you know there's even like i think he even interviewed like gore vidal or somebody like that you know just people that were anti-establishment sure and when obama came in jones kind of slowly started to kind of drift into kind of the more mainstream conservative stuff he slowly started to drift into it like it was kind of a slow drift into that into that um, especially with like the Tea Party movement, which actually kind of started out as like a Ron Paul. It was like a Ron Paul supported thing at first. And then that got hijacked, to my belief, by the Republican Party when the whole healthcare debate came around about 2010. And Jones started getting on that whole kick and the whole anti-Obama kick. And it was instrumental in that. And... Around about like 2012, 2013, around the time that I started this podcast, Jones started interviewing people like Joseph Farrell and just more extreme people on the right. It was all very much people that were just, those extremists were always there, but like he started getting people that were more, much more establishment than they were kind of somebody in some some podunk place or even like Ron Paul who's not as not as right wing as you would think he is you know not but he started and then now and in 2016 Jones started really supporting Trump mm-hmm. and that was kind of like the final straw for me like I hadn't listened to him in a while 
since anyway, because I just could see him getting more and more mainstream and just, and, and like, he's really, he's supporting Trump. Like he thinks Trump is going to be the savior here. There was a, a quote by him. I couldn't find, I tried to look it up before this show, but I don't remember his exact words, but something along the lines of if, if I'm ever supporting either side you know, of the bipartisan spectrum or if I ever grow to a, a certain size and I've been compromised and you shouldn't yeah. listen to me. I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but it, it related somehow. Well, that. I'll tell you. Someone told me this. I'm not going to tell you anybody who, but someone told me this, that they knew Alex Jones in the mid-'90s. They met him, knew him pretty well, and Alex Jones even told this guy, said, if I'm ever, like what you just said, basically, that if I am ever big, if I've got a big organization behind me, then I've been compromised. And I think that that's probably what has happened. And some of it, I think, has just been that he's just become more and more famous and more and more public. Right, which does strange things with people. And this ties into something that Thad McCracken talked about several times in in our recent episode with him that journalistic um integrity in a capitalistic society is is a very difficult thing because you know if if uh you know say you were to to land some big show on some big network and actually make a decent living out of it and be able to support your family the way you've always wanted to suddenly you're going to have to talk about things that you don't want to talk about you're gonna have to support things you might not want to support you're gonna have to you know cut certain things and, and, and bend and bow and, you know, and that's just, it's kind of how the whole system works. And that's why I, I tend to try to dig deeper, look at smaller sources, look at people who are out there doing this kind of stuff because it's what they want to do. And that's the only way you can really be sure of anything or get at least an honest opinion from somebody. Which at least 10 years ago, that's what Alex Jones was doing. For sure. You know, that's what made it so for me, so revolutionary to listen to and so refreshing to listen to because it wasn't just this whole, the Democrats are bad and the and Republicans good and the Republicans good and Democrats bad. Uh, the, the vice versa kind of stuff that you would hear on either conservative or liberal talk radio, it was different. It was very much just like, we're looking at what's really going on behind the scenes and I mean, he's gotten more and more just the mainstream, cons- pushing the mainstream conservative. The New World Order stuff is still there, but it's like now it's funneled into a much more just conservative uh, worldview. That's it. I mean, there's there's almost no other worldview. And then just and then just these rants that he does, and a lot of it, a lot of it was just hilarious. But a lot of it was also just to fill up time and just to get people worked up. Right. Too. You know, and, and that just became his shtick and that just got people listening to him. Now, I, you know, I don't know about the Sandy Hook stuff that they mentioned there. You know, I mean, I've, you know me, I've got my doubts about that whole thing. Not that it wasn't a real incident. Just but that it just didn't the, go down the way we're told. It didn't go down There's the way that we, that, that's told. I, I believe all those kids died. I believe the teachers died. I believe all that stuff happened. But 
whether it was Adam Lanza that actually pulled the trigger, I don't, I have my doubts about that. Okay. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm a very love hate relationship with Alex Jones. My favorite theory is that Bill Hicks never died and he's been doing a character for mm-hmm. decades, pulling like mm-hmm. a crazy Andy Kaufman stunt. And pretty soon he's going to show up on Airs <laughs> One Team and be like, ah, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Jones has even addressed that too. He says, I'm not Bill Hicks. <laughs> I, just, I just want that to be true so bad. <laughs> we need to get Micah back on here to do his Alex Jones impression. <laughs> the guy does like an awesome, like the most awesome Alex Jones impression ever, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't think there's anything else I want to say about that. Um, but we do have Steve Stockton coming back on, and we have his friend, uh, Cisco Murdoch. We're going to talk to her as well, and we're going to talk to them about their paranormal experiences. Uh, I think they're going to work on a book together, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's awesome. So I love uh, Steve's books. Looking forward to that. So, Rob, uh, tell everybody once again where they can become Patreon. Oh, our growing Patreon community. We love you all. Um, so we can get rich like Alex Jones. That's right. That's right. If, uh, if our Patreon community ever grows to a million, you know we've been compromised. <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> we have different tiers on there. Uh, there's, you know, you can access to the forums being the bottom tier. Um, there's bonus episodes that release every month. We're going to start doing these monthly Skype calls with all of you uh, up to T-shirts. And you can win a date with Luke or Adam. I forget how that works. Uh, but it's all at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, and that's C-O-N-S-P-I-R-I-N-O-R-M-A-L. Or if you want to just do a one-time donation because you love the show that much, you can go to our website, and that's conspiranormal.com. And if you just want to support the show spiritually, just a five-star review on wherever you listen, Stitcher or iTunes. We really, really appreciate those, and uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Well, we know the the date isn't with you, Rob, because... Alyssa will kill whoever that is. As well as me. And and as well as you. (laughs) So, guys, we'll be back soon. Uh, We're going to get to the guests, and we'll be back on the flip side. Welcome back, guys, to Conspiranormal. And we are here with Mr. Rob. Hello, hello. The man with all the skills to pay the bills. <laughs> See, there's that 80s hip hop again. That's the 80s hip hop. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> we, we were talking about doing an 80s hip hop song for Conspiracy Normal, having Luke make it, but it'll probably take him a half a year to actually get it done. So, <laughs> But uh, we have on the line two guests. You get two for the price of one today. And that is return guest Steve Stockton. Say hello, Steve. Hi there. How's it going, Adam? Rob, glad to be on with you guys. Hey, it's good to have you back on. This is the third time for you, Steve, so you get your smoking jacket in the mail. And uh, we also have a new guest, and she is also a listener and someone that I have heard on the immortal Soraya Askath's Where Did the Road Go show, Cisco Murdoch. Cisco, welcome to Conspiracy Normal for the first time. Hello, gentlemen. I am so glad to be here. I'm fired up for this. It's going to be awesome. Hello, everybody. We are absolutely glad to have you, Cisco. Um, Now, you know, guys, I don't really have any questions, honestly, tonight. I I just kind of think that this is, well, anytime that I have Steve on, it's just all about stories and, and talking about 
personal experiences or experiences that have happened to others. But I do understand that you guys are working on a book together. So let's kind of like tell me a little bit of how you guys kind of got together uh, to work on, start working on this project and what this is going to be about. Steve, you want to take it, honey? Yeah, I'll start off and then hand it over to you. Uh, Soraya introduced us. Uh, he had had Cisco on his show. Uh, come on, tell some of her stories. He messaged me one day and he's got, I've got somebody I think you'd like to meet. So um, he gave me her number. We First call, we probably talked for, I don't know, two or three hours and found that we had a lot in common as far as storytelling and story collecting, story gathering and whatnot. And just kind of went from there. We Great friendship, even though we're completely on the other sides of the country. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I, I'd encourage Cisco to, to write out her story. So it's, that's, I'm kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of things like that. I think I've got several people now that have published books. And, yeah, doing shows. And uh, I was the first one that encouraged them to, to write those stories out. And that's, you know, that's my whole mission in life is to keep these stories from falling by the wayside and, and dying with the people that tell them. So this way, you know, there's some, some preservation going on there. Uh, but anyway, Cisco kept sending me these great stories, personal experiences. I was like, you know, you really need to write a book. You really need to write a book. So finally one day she's like, I will, but I want you to help me. And I'm like, okay, anything I can do. She says, what I want you to do is to go right along behind me. Whatever I write about, comment on it, either, you know, relate something similar that you've heard of and that you know or you know so it's it's going to be interesting it's going to be like me doing color commentary for her stories basically which and it it kind of takes on a life of its own at some point so really interesting but yeah i thought it was a different kind of concept because just like steve said um when we have a conversation it's like a chain reaction of just good stories and storytelling and combination. We found out through talking, we're both Native American descent hmm. and uh, really kind of lean more into that traditional aspect of Native, you know, or First Nation. And if you think about it, you know, you're sitting around the fire and, you know, there's no tech going on and everybody's just face to face and everybody's just relating stories. And, and the storyteller in um, Native American lore is held up very high because the traditions are passed on via stories. So that's how I always looked at Steve. And I told him, I said, hey, man, you're just, a, you know, you're a stellar teller is what I call him because you're keeping that tradition alive. And when I started telling my stories and I've always had this thing, guys, and I don't know how your listeners uh, feel about it. But a lot of times people are writing books and you feel like there's people in the paranormal that have been in, you know, 35, 40 years. And you ask them a question and they say, it's in the book. It's in the book. I never wanted to be one of those people. You know, I never wanted to tell a story or try to help an individual and have them always think, well, she's just trying to sell me something. I always looked at it different, you know, and then Steve kind of touched my heart when he said, look, you know, those stories are going to die. You know, if you don't tell them, they're going to go with you. And that touched my heart. And that's why I reached out to him and said, let's do something different. You know, let's not let's just tell it like it was. And you can come in behind me. And the name of the book, you would like to hear the name? Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. Okay, okay I'm sorry. I'm 
I'm reading your mind, Adam. I'm all <laughs> up in your head tonight. It, it's it's called We Are All Children in the Wilderness of the Afterlife. Hmm. And what that means is basically it's like the last frontier. It's you know, you know, we can go explore all over the place, but when you come right to it, we're all in the same boat coming to what's there, what's going on, and we're all seeking that answer. And if we go together and we take those a little bit about what we know and what our, you know, put a little heart into it and take out all the red tape and bureaucracy and politics or whatever you want to call it out of it, we're all just interested in what's there, what's next. So we're all kind of going into it like children, you know, no matter how many people say they're experts, which I just don't believe there are. You know, there are people that understand aspects, but you can't be an expert, you know. Um, even the people that come back that are actually there and speak as ghosts, you know, don't really know what's going on. So we're all just the same. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Absolutely. I like that a lot. And I've found that the, the older I get and the more that I delve into it, it's not about finding answers, which was really right. what got me started, but yeah. I don't think there are any answers. I think the, the enjoyment right. and, and the enrichment is in the journey. It's what you learn Absolutely. in the process. That's the closest you'll get to the answer, I think. Uh-huh. And I agree. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to just write the story, hand it off to Steve. I don't know what he's writing. It's all pure. And whatever he writes, it stays. And it's it's basically the the subtitle is it's a, a guided journey through a haunted life. And I take my experiences, and then he echoes them, and that's the book, which is kind of cool, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and about the whole thing about people that say that they have the answers. I mean, those are the people that I tend to try to stay away from. You know, it's like those, those are kind of, you, you tend to have people that are more, I guess, dogmatic and this stuff can become like anything else. I think just dogma for people, the people that say like, right. here's the answers. This is what it all is. And like, no, I think there's, I like the mystery. I like not I knowing. That's yeah. why I like to explore it. Right. <laughs> just right. like you guys. And it's also... It's kind of life is kind of like one of those novels. It's like a mystery novel. And you're going to have those people that can't stand it. They have to read the last page first. Right. And and ruin it. When, like Steve was saying, it's about the journey. It's about the story. It's about what have you learned along the way. And if you've been in this any time at all, I've been studying it for 45 years. And the only thing I know is that there's something going on and the more I learn, the more questions I have. <laughs> it's like, that's just the way it is, right? That big paranormal onion, right, Steve? Absolutely. Just peel it off a layer at a time. Mm -hmm. And you get done with one layer, there's another, there's always gonna be another one underneath. Yep, yep. And we and Steve and I differ on what's in the center of the onion. You know, I think I think Steve thinks, well, it, it might be nothing. And I say, well, it's probably just another onion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but it, it's, isn't it fun, you know, to look into this and, and try to see, you know, you know, what other, like you might've had an experience. I might've had an experience. And if we keep it pure, and what I mean by that is you don't change it. 
you don't um, exaggerate on it. You don't add to it. And then the other person can say, well, that's exactly what it was like for me. It, you know, it was just that way. But if you take it and you change it, then it, it, it's not the same, you know, and, and people can't learn from it. You know, occasionally you run across authors like that, that so far into their work, you can tell that they're pushing some kind of an agenda. And that really turns me off. I just, I want the information. I don't care, you know, your personal political beliefs. I don't want that to get in the way of a good story. Right. Right. uh, There, there are no hard and fast answers to really any of this when you get right down to the brass tacks. Right. And even when you're talking about an experience, like, I was so careful the first time I was so nervous when I sent my first chapter to Steve because I just offered it to him and I went, here it is. This is how it happened. And in there, I say, okay, well, it could have been this. It could have been that. But basically, we leave it up to the reader to decide. We're not shoving answers down your throat. You know, there's a few there's a few little things in there where I go because I've I met. I've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people, just like Steve, just like you, Adam, just like you, Rob. Mm -hmm. And you get a little bit of wisdom from each person you speak to if you listen with an open mind. And I had a, I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. So I'll go up and ask this person, what do you think about this? You know, as far as elders or, you know, uh, older people or whatever. And I had an elder tell me once and uh, it was right during a powwow. We're sitting there and I asked him about this and some other things, and he said, well, it's if you take something and you run it through the filters of your open mind, and then you run it through your heart, then do it again, and then you might be close to being just far enough from the truth to be able to touch it just a little bit, you know? But the minute you start putting your ego or anything else in it, it changes, so you have to train yourself to do that. And I think that's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. I've had readers write me and say, well, did you investigate this any farther? Did you, you know, vet this? Are there any collaborating witnesses? And like, I don't know. That's that's not my job. If you want to investigate it, you know, there it is. Go for it. But yep. for me, it's I'm just I'm telling the story the way it was told to me. That's the magical part to me. I don't want to go and try to tear somebody's story apart and poke holes in it and say, well, that didn't happen or you didn't see that or whatever. I, I love that magical childlike moment when you're just wrapped in attention and telling you this freakish story and then it's obvious that they really experienced something that they believe in their heart what they saw yeah. and what they're telling you and that's that's where the, the purest form of it comes in for me right right yeah you know uh, recently we had uh, greg bishop on the show and i think if you guys had heard this episode where we talked to him and he's relayed this story before you know he was talking about a researcher that he knew that was talking to someone that had the alien contact experience and one of the things that they asked this person was did you have any headaches and all of a sudden the lady i think it was a lady started having headaches afterwards after they had asked them that and so what Greg Bishop okay, kind of gleaned yeah kind of yeah kind of gleaned from that was that they they had planted something into this person's mind so already instead of just like listening to this person's experience and what happened to them and just sitting there and just being listening to it they were contaminating 
basically mm-hmm. contaminating the, the story. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that ki- kind of like hypochondriac? Uh, hypochondriacs? Yeah. I mean, if you think about yeah. it, in the mind can be powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you hear a, you hear about a disease, and all of a sudden you start having the symptoms or thinking you're having the symptoms. Uh, That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. I used to, to work with a lady when I was a photographer, uh, photo lab manager in Las Vegas. Nobody really liked this lady. She would show up and just cause problems and stuff. And I found <laughs> that I could suggest to her, you know, like, she'd oh, come no. in, she's all up with people and everything. I'm like, Mary, you okay? And she's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, oh, oh, nothing. I just wondered. And then she'd come back in a few minutes and say, did I really did I not look good? What is it? I'm like, well, you, you look kind of funny. <laughs> and she did because she would use the spray tan, so she's orange, like an oompa And I'm like, you don't look good. In a few minutes, she'd come back and say, you know, you're right. And I, I don't feel good either. I think I'm going to go home. Is it okay if I take the rest of that? I'm like, oh, okay, I guess so. And I'm like, everybody's like, yeah, Mary's gone. Man, see, that's but, like psychological you know, warfare. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. In there. <laughs> and sitting on house. Steven's a bad boy. If you haven't that. really Realized to get Steve's a bad boy, which is cool. Which is cool, you know. Golly, Steve. It helped everybody, you know. She went home and took a rest, and we all got a break too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Cisco, what I want to try that tomorrow. I'm sorry. What I want to ask you, my boss. What I want to ask you, Cisco, is um, what's kind of like the what's been the nature of your experiences? Like, if you could peg Shoot. one or two things like is it all across the board or do you think did you have yeah. more more of one type than another well that's well yes 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 and no and yes to all of that and this is why i think that and i'm not trying to be snippet here i think that once you start not say welcoming this but opening it you know maybe you exercise that intuition muscles more or something, you start getting a lot of different things. And I just don't want to be that person that's sitting here and saying, I've had all these different experiences, you know, across the board, but there have been snippets of a lot of different things. I mean, there's been really, really good. There's been really, really bad. And then there's been the really cool in between, you know, and then once I've that was all being younger and growing up in it. And you really don't realize what you're going through at the time. You just kind of like bookmark it and mm-hmm. then you go on a little more and then you look back and go, wow, that's what that was. Or it kind of sort of fits here, you know, cause we all, we all want to categorize, you know? And I think we're as human beings, we love to have that file cabinet where we can, we can put this under, you know, okay, that was a residual haunting. You know, that was definitely an evil presence. This was definitely, you know, uh, you know, a a loved one's visitation, you know, and I've definitely had all those, you know, if that helps answer your question. But once I started kind of getting a little bit older, it's leaned more towards I just want to help, man. You know, I mean, if, if I am dealing with a human spirit who's confused or lost, that my main goal is to just like walking along the street. If I saw a human being that fell in a hole that mm-hmm. was asking for help, there is no way I would leave that person in there. I wouldn't ask them for 50 bucks before I helped them. And I wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And I certain 
I certainly wouldn't say, well, you know, if you knock on the wall three times and then do it again and do it again and do it again, then I'm going to go ahead and get a recording of that. Then I'm going to show all my friends and you can just stay in the hole. (laughs) Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're asking me what I'm about now, it would be about, you know, helping human beings living or dead. How's that? Sure. (laughs) When did you first become aware of this as a child? Like, what was your first, like, do you remember like kind of like your first experience of dealing with this? Absolutely. It was very young, much like Steve's. I'm sure you're familiar with Steven's first where he saw the, the child running and yes. fell into the ground and disappear. And if you haven't heard that story out there, go back. He, he tells it on Conspiracy Normal. It's absolutely fascinating. And he talks about picking up a shovel, even digging a hole, trying to find out where this kid went. Well, I always kid Steve that he's still got that shovel. He's still digging for answers. <laughs> still digging. <laughs> he's still digging. He's still got the shovel. With yeah. myself, I was around the same age, and we lived... And I say we, I'm meaning my family. My mom uh, was kind of like the Brady Bunch. Like she had a couple and he had a couple. And when they got married, we all had a bunch, you know. And they were all much older than I. I was the baby. And I'm saying they were all teenagers, 14 and up, you know. And some were even married and off by then. So we lived in a haunted farmhouse. And it was, the house was probably, I don't know. I think it was like 160, 170 years old when we moved. In. It was a big farmhouse wow. in Jersey. Yeah, right. Big farmhouse in Jersey. Nothing but cornfields in the back and cows across the street, you know. And I was put in for um, a nap. And uh, so funny because it's <laughs> so long ago, I just got goosebumps. I was put in for a nap. And you know how you're, when you're little, everything looks so big, you know. And I'm sitting in the middle. My dad was six, six, eight, six, nine, something like that. So they had this really big king size bed and I'm right in the middle of it. And I heard this kind of noise and like a crackling. And I remember sitting up to see where the noise was coming from because I thought somebody was messing around in my mom's closet. That's where it was coming from. And this light, it was shutter doors, like the big farmhouse shutter doors that open and fold in on each other and there was this light that started coming underneath the doors and coming out of the slats because shutters have these slats in them so the light started kind of pushing out coming up all at the same time and I'm just fixed on it I'm sitting up looking right at it it's right in front of me and the light was growing in the closet and coming out at the same time and then there was this kind of I want to say like a sparkling, almost like when you um, when you touch something, you rub your feet on the floor and you touch something in the dark and you see that spark. Hmm. It was kind of like that. And then it started to form together. And it, it didn't really form a face at first. It was more like just this head. There was no body. There was no neck. It was just this head. And as this light came out and pushed, it kind of followed the head and it was coming towards me and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually there was a face and it was, um, it was a man. He was probably late twenties, early thirties. You could just tell he had long hair and a ponytail and it's moving really fast. It tells it, it takes me longer to tell it than it 
took to happen, if you know what I'm saying. Sure. It's, it's coming at me, and its eyes are closed, and its mouth, like right in front of me, I'm like leaning back now. It's coming at me, and its mouth dropped open like to scream, but no sound came out. And then its eyes opened, and they were, it was red light. It wasn't red eyes. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a black eyed children with, you know, with, but it was like red light came out of the eyes. And its hair was in a ponytail. And as it, I just like flopped back onto the bed because it went right over me. And it had this red ribbon in its ponytail. And I just remember as a kid thinking the eyes match the ribbon, you know, it's kind of a weird thought, but that's what it was. It flew over me. And as I'm laying down, watching it go over me, it goes into the wall and disappears. And the light went with it. And then I heard screaming. And I uh -huh. thought at first the thing screaming, but it was me. I was screaming for all I was worth. And then the door busts open. And here comes a couple of sisters and my mom bustling in. And they pick me up off the bed. And, you know, they're saying all that, you know, that women mom stuff you're know, like oh you had a nightmare you had a nightmare and i'm like red eyes red ribbon red eyes and this was a lot of hustle and bustle they take me out to the living room and they sit me down and they're all you know whatever and one of the sisters picked me up and i know i was going back in the kitchen i know it was there was a cookie in my future boy because they always give you food when you're upset you know and i heard my sister say this to my mother Red eyes, red ribbon, mom, just like I saw. You see what oh, I'm saying? Okay. So she saw it too, but because of the situation in my house, my dad was World War II. He had, back then we called it shell shock. Yeah. He also had, you know, he, he, he drank an awful lot. He, he had some problems. He had night terrors and, and things like that. And my dad was not having any of this nonsense. You didn't talk about it. You didn't discuss it at the table. It wasn't like you could get together and work through your stuff. You shut up and you didn't say anything. So that was my first experience. And because of the situation in the household, it took, there was a very soon after that, there was a divorce and everybody kind of went their own way. And it took me almost 22 years at a family re reunion where everybody started talking about it. My surviving siblings started opening up and they had all seen the same guy. How about that? Hmm. <coughs> that gave me goosebumps. It gives mm. me goosebumps. You know, it's always heads flying at you. Yeah. It's always interesting when you can have that kind of validation of like it didn't just happen to you. Because right when you said when you said that your sister had you overheard her saying just like she saw that's when I was like oh man yeah I mean that that similar kind of thing has happened to me like I've right. had an experience where well well I had a relative that saw something thirty years before that uh, you know that I saw thirty years later so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's almost like that's validation in your mind of like I'm just not going crazy. Exactly. You know, and you know, even as a little kid, I knew that phrase was important because it was like I was almost remember because like when you're being carried out of a room as a little kid, you're going whether you want to or not. Yeah. And I remember hearing that, and I was almost like reaching out to her, like you believe me, you know. Um, but there was a lot of little situations like that that had happened. 
in that house. And, you know, until I sat down and I was really talking to Zariah and Steve, you never know what's going to come out of these convos. You know, you're sitting there talking with other people who are like minded, you know, and it's important to me because you really get all these snippets of wisdom, you know, and as soon as I was talking to Steve and Zariah, I I clicked in my head and I thought, you know what? With all the stuff my dad was going through, I'm wondering if that angry lost spirit did mm. not have an effect on him because of his condition. It was an easy target or just an, you know, an innocent being affected by it made his situation worse because he used to fight things that we didn't think were there. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling me? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And it's very, very possible that, that w- that's what was going on. Or, or because we go, our go energy. Ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was thinking, or, you know, for another, you know, flip, maybe our energy bringing it into that house stirred something up in that house and woke it up. You see what I mean? It could be either way or both. Yeah. There's also a possibility that it could have been a projection of him. It could very well be. Yep. Well, Cisco, isn't there another part to that story about some things that were found in the walls of that house? I Absolutely. Don't want to get ahead of ahead of you here, but I'd like to hear that part. <laughs> sure. Do you want to hear it? Okay. So you remember I mentioned the, the family reunion, right? Right. Well, there was... Other things that I kept to myself. Now, here I am. You know, we left that house probably, I was probably four or five. So all of my memories were there were little kid memories, you know. Like I remember it was a real bad feeling, real bad feeling in the barn. Like I had this little green pedal car. I don't know. You guys are too young probably to remember those. But you just got in it. You just pedaled it yourself. And they always kept it in the barn, you know. And I remember I would not, I would go in to get it and rush real quick and want to get out of there because it was just such an oppressive feeling, you know, and I would ride my car and I would always get in trouble because I wouldn't put the car back in the barn, but I wouldn't say anything. So I would, (laughs) even at that age, I would make the choice. I'll take the punishment. I ain't going back in there, you know, so that's pretty profound if you think about it, you know. And I wonder how many other kids that kind of thing happens to. But there was also other things that went on. There was a lot of app porting going on. And for anybody that doesn't know what that means, that just means objects moving from one place to another or being gone completely and never being found again. Like uh, that one Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. Um, My sisters, you got to figure this is late 60s. And there's a lot of women in the house. So everybody wants to bake and be a part of the big dinner. And we had company coming over. And this was back when you made everything by scratch. It wasn't you didn't open a box and heat up a pie. You made it from scratch. And they made so many pies that they even had to go to the neighbors to borrow the pie pans. You know what I mean? So it was that many pies because everybody had their favorite and everybody wanted to make something different. So make a long story short, I remember being sent back and forth from the kitchen to the to the dining room, you know, get the napkins, bring this in, bring that in, because I was a little guy, you know, I was just little and I would had to do everything everybody wanted, you know. And these pies were there and you couldn't touch them and they just look so good, you know, and you want to, you know, 
pick a piece of crust or pull out something, a pecan. And I remember stole, I stole a pecan off one of the pies. And then I tried to push everything around to make it look like I hadn't touched it. And I wasn't <laughs> going to get in trouble. I just knew it. I just knew it, you know. So I go back in and there's sisters walking back and forth like just it was craziness. And all of a sudden I hear this scream and something break. Like somebody screamed and dropped something. Everybody goes back rushing into the kitchen and the pies are gone. I mean, gone, man. There's no crumbs. There's no nothing. The pies are gone. <laughs> and there's like, you could see where, like, if you take a, a pan and you put it on a table and it leaves a little grease, you know, from the stove. Mm-hmm. And my mom is losing it, you know? And she's like, where's your brother? You know, check the doors. Both doors were locked with those little hook and latch things from the inside. The screen doors were, were locked. And the doors were open and there's two doors in the kitchen. You couldn't get in from outside and back out again and lock those things from the inside. You couldn't do it. And you couldn't walk past anybody because we're all in the dining room. It was the next room. So these doggone pies were gone. She sent my sisters out to look in the in the barn. She sent my, you know, sisters out to look for where, where my brother was, because I guess she thought he brought a gang of people in there to steal pies. We never saw him again. <laughs> You know, I mean, you go through all the stuff and I just remember my mom sitting at the table with her head, you know, like when moms give up that look when they sit at the table, they put their head in their hand and they cannot figure out any other rational explanation for any of this, you know, and when my mom did that, you just knew that something had happened, you know. And I I can't tell you where they went. They never showed back up. In fact, they had to go by two new pans to give back to the neighbor so they wouldn't have to explain anything. Wow. So I don't know. Sis- I, don't, I have no clue. Cisco, what was the first like experience that you had that you kind of realized that, Hey, I, I might have, I might be special, you know, like I might not be like, <laughs> I might not be I'm, like everybody else. I'm special. All right. Um, <laughs> now that's, a good, that's a good question. Cause I, I, Man, I just, I don't know if I've ever had that moment, to tell you the truth. I mean, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Um, so for you, it was almost just like, this is normal. This is my normal. Maybe, but like when you maybe, realize that maybe like other people weren't having, like most oh, of your peers weren't having this experience, you know? Oh, oh that I learned earlier. Yeah. That I learned early, man, because you just didn't, you know, because like I said, the house I was in, you just didn't talk. You know, it's not like I said, like you couldn't go to your sister, you know, because they were so panicked that my dad was going to go flip off, you know, that she, you couldn't even talk to him. Like when he wasn't around, you didn't talk about, we're not going to talk about that. Just just, that didn't happen. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, even with the pies. They didn't tell him that that stuff was missing. They just started whipping up other desserts and they blamed that they burnt pies in the stove. I mean, they made up excuses. So you didn't go to school and tell your, you know, your friends that you sat, you had somebody sit on your bed, you know, that night and have a conversation with you that really wasn't there. You know, Um, you kept it quiet. And I think a lot of people do that for like a lot of their lives, either until they just completely shut it off or block it out 
or they find a way to deal with it and make it work, you know? I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry I don't have an answer, but I'd I'd feel well, no, I'd feel I think like that's, I would a, that's the answer, honestly, because okay. like you know you don't. I guess it's just more like it's the development. It is, and life. I think it's all just like doing sit ups or push ups. I think, I think, and this is just me, and this is just what I think. This is my theory, but I think everybody is born with. Um, intuition. I think everybody's born with a gut instinct. I think everybody's born with certain abilities. Um, uh, the best way I have to explain it is I've seen a five-year-old play Mozart on a piano mm. with very little um, uh, training. Do you know what I mean? It's a natural thing. And I can sit there with sheet music and I'll be like, if I can play, you know, you know anything that resembles music some things are just easier to some people and the more you exercise it the, the better it is um i've seen some phenomenal i have some friends who are phenomenal psychic mediums and clairvoyance and 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 things like that and you know they were blessed enough to to grow up in a household that really um helped that along you know where they could talk about it and i kind of came into that a little bit Later, I didn't have people I could talk to. I had books I could research things in. And I was very careful to look for a certain thing. My my person that got me started really understanding was Hans Holzler. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to rescue the spirit. He was very careful about who he took in. They were very secretive about it. If um, your listeners don't know who that is, and I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. But the thing that just got me was they really weren't trying to promote anything other than helping the person in the household but to tell you the truth they really cared more about the spirit that was lost than the than the owners of the house you know because if you take care of one you fix the other and that was cool that was really cool to me i dug that so the the first time that you got and kind of like helped a spirit cross over like, did you remember how old you were? Like, do you remember like that incident or like helping I, is crossover the right term? Do you think? I think that's, that's, that's a good, as good as any term, sure. you know, um, in some cases, I mean, Steve and I, I don't know how Steve feels about talking about this, but there's mm-hmm. lots of different ways. Um, but Steve had, uh, one that I thought was extremely interesting, and it really took a village, didn't it, Steve? Yeah, it did, and I never had any experience in my particular areas of study of, of helping anybody cross over or even knowing what to do. And when I described the experience that I'd been having to Cisco, she said, oh, that's somebody that, that wants to cross over. And apparently it was because whatever she did worked. There you go. It was and- uh, I kept having these nightmares about uh, finding a, a crashed motorcycle in the weeds and a decomposing body there. Hmm. And then later on, it was almost like American Werewolf in London. This guy kept popping up in my dreams and various degrees of decomposition, and he started talking to me. And, uh, That's crazy. It was, it was just, <laughs> I, I usually yeah. don't have those kind of dreams. I've had prophetic dreams and I've seen things that later came to pass, but I've never had anything like that where it was an ongoing process. 
And mm-hmm. uh, that happened not too long after we had started talking to each other. So I think that was, he knew that I would go to you and that you would be able to help him or, or something. I don't know. It was, it was exactly. a very strange exactly. process. Exactly. I totally, I to- if you don't mind me jumping in here, I'm I'm sorry. I get excited about this stuff, but <laughs> there there's right there's one of the there's one of the layers, man, because that's it. We tend to think of things, and again, I am not a scientist, I am not a therapist, I am not an expert. I'm just here, you know, and I'm paying attention. That that's basically all we can do. But if you think about this, it's not the first time that I've been involved with something where I'm in this spot. And this person is in this spot and somehow, whatever you want to call it, their spirit guides, your spirit guides, their energy, your energy, something links up and they know that if they pester you enough, you'll go to the person that can add that extra link to yeah, get to And that's what it was. Yeah. It was it's that linked yep. together to yep. resolve that issue. And if it hadn't been for you, I don't know if that would have ever been resolved. The guy still might be haunting my dreams. Right, right, right. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? Isn't that cool, though? I mean, it's so yeah, cool. Yeah. It's, that, that's it's, one of the things you have to convince yourself that you're not going crazy. When I first started having dreams like that, I was a teenager, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm dreaming about car accidents, about accidents on construction sites, uh, oh. seeing people, you know, blood and guts squished out of them and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be crazy by the time yeah. I graduate high school. But then... Uh, I had my grandmother to kind of lead me through that. And she told me that you'll dream things, you'll see things, you'll experience things just because of how you are, how you're made up. And she said, you can't let it scare you, that it's not really real, it can't hurt you. And sometimes it may not make sense, but you see what you see, you hear what you hear, you experience what you experience for a reason. Right, right. Well, so see, that was that is, was what I always took into anything. Okay, I don't know why I saw somebody crush when a, a pile of um, concrete pipes collapsed, and then the same thing happened. I read it in the paper like two weeks later. I had no idea where it was other than it was in the south because I could see the red clay, but there was no way that I could stop it or anything Right. to do about that and it's just one of those things where she's just like well you're going to see things you're going to know things and it's not meant for you to change or to stop it so yeah. so if, if yeah. to strengthen your belief in your own whatever you see and experience so steve you would see these things happen and then you would read about it happening later, later on yeah, yeah I, I just laid down to go to sleep. I just laid down on the bed. And as soon as I hit the mattress, I started dreaming. This is a construction site, and there was a pyramid of uh, concrete pipes, like drainage pipes. It was uh, three on the bottom, two on that, one up above it. And and I was thinking in the dream, you know, those aren't secure. It's sitting here on this red clay. Those are going to collapse at any moment. Sure enough, a guy's walking by. The pile breaks loose, and I mean, just totally squashed the guy. And I saw everything. He was mashed into the ground, and blood and guts and things coming out of him. And it woke Jeez. me up, and I sat up in the bed, and just like, wow, what was that? And uh, about two weeks later, I think it happened in Kingsport. It was somewhere in, in Tennessee. Read in the paper, a pile of uh, pipes had uh, rolled down a hill and killed a construction worker. Same thing yep. that I saw. Steve I mean, is highly clairvoyant. He won't tell you that. He is highly clairvoyant. When I met him, he wouldn't admit to, you know, he said, well, I got this, I got that. He's very intuitive. He's high, he's, a, he's a strong empath. 
strong empath. But Steve, and does that he gets those dreams? Yeah. Does that kind of frustrate you though? Because it, it I mean, does. I would, like, I would think that why do I see something like that if I can't do anything to stop yeah, it? Yeah, if you can't like go to that place and like that day and tell that guy, hey, get out of the way, you know? Yeah. It's it's terrible. I mean, he 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 calls me up with a lot of them, and I'm wide open for to Steve for that because we try to work through it. Like like and the poor some of those guy haven't happened yet. Hopefully they won't. I called her not right. too long ago. I had a waking dream uh, where I saw a cruise ship that had been uh, either a bomb set off on it or had been hit by a uh, a missile or a torpedo or something. I saw like people in the water and debris, and it was just so vivid and so real and. That was what about two or three months ago. And every day I get up to see yeah. if a cruise ships had a terror attack or anything, but yeah. so far nothing yet. I don't want to give anybody any ideas. So a lot of times right. I don't. I keep all that to myself. Steve, don't have any dreams about me, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I used to have those when I was little, and I really don't. I can't explain it, but I had those too, and they're different dreams. It's just like. I don't know how Steve sees it, it's, but it's different from a dream. It's like it. I have regular yeah. crazy dreams, but when it's yeah. this particular type of dream, there's like an added realism. It's like watching your regular old television from back in the sixties and then changing to a, a high definition channel. There's exactly. that clarity. And then yep. you can you smell can things take, in the breeze. You can, you can feel it. the grass. Yep. There's yep. so much more detail. And that's how I know it's one of those dreams, even though yep. You know, they like to say they don't always uh, come to pass, but makes you wonder. Well, here's the question yeah. for you both, uh, especially for you, Cisco, because I know geographically you're closer. Okay. Was there anything pre 9 11 that you guys, because you, you do yes. hear about this, people have dreams yes. about that event before it happened? Yes, 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 yes. And there's been a lot lately. It's made nothing. Yeah. And it's surprising. It's Sometimes like the really pressure. big ones like that, I don't get anything. Yeah. It's like a pressure, you know, and I'm, and let me just, you know, reiterate that I was in Alabama when that happened. Okay. You know, even though I was closer now, you know, but you still, you can ask a lot of people, they just felt this pressure, but we didn't know what was coming. You know, it's like it's something that's happened earlier too i know adam i i texted you a couple times or facebook messaged or something like that it's like i can feel it it's like the world is making a fist man and it's fixing to punch something you could just the only time i get that i've noticed before an earthquake sometimes i'll get a headache in a certain part of my head it's just like about an earthquake you want to talk about alabama and the tornadoes and stuff man i used to watch my animals I did yeah. animal rescue too, you know, and I'll watch them. And I'm like, just watch, watch everybody. You know, when they start oh, acting, the animals funny, always know ahead of time. Always know. But see, that's, that's what I was saying earlier. We're all born that instinct. I think we talk ourselves out of it in some way. You know, it's like when I talk to, to young people that are, 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 are dealing with this stuff, like I said, I always try to help living in the dead. So I tell them, look, man, if you get a feeling to not go on that elevator don't get on it. I don't care if you're going to hurt the person's feelings that's in the elevator. If you're getting that feeling, this is for all the marbles. Walk away. You know, don't yeah. talk yourself out of your gut instinct. It's like going into the woods or anything else, you know. And isn't that a little bit of intuition? Yeah. You know, 
And it's just like, I'm not sitting here saying I have anything special. I think we all have it. I think we just listen differently. You know, it's and like I, I used to have pronounced as a child because you haven't been yeah. programmed to not believe in it yet. So what did right. you feel before 9-11, Cisco? Like, what did you have any dreams or was it just a feeling? No, no, I didn't have any dreams. I just felt a pressure. Like, like I said earlier, it's just like the world was making a fist and mm. it was fixing to just punch. You know, you don't really know what it is. And at the time, my sons were younger and I was pretty much single mom. So. I didn't even want to send him to school. You know, it was just one of those things where, I mean, we had not long after we had gone after Columbine and everything else, we were having all this other stuff going on. I didn't where it was coming from, yeah. you know, it just felt. And then bam, you know, I saw it on the TV and I just sat there like everybody else, you know, it's just like, but, and, and I don't, if you talk to anybody that really had more of a pinpoint on it, who would have listened? It's like, I don't know how these psychic mediums and mediums do it when they work with uh, missing people or when somebody's missing. Um, but I have friends who do that, you know, and, and my heart goes out to them. And I'm thinking, okay, you have this lost spirit drawn to your light and they come to you because you know you're going to do something. And then you've got to go to the cops and go, guess what? I know where the body is. What's that? <laughs> they're going to lock you up. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what happens. So who would have listened? You know, you just do what any parent would do. You protect your kids or, you you know, you're just an over overly protective there and you try to secure your household and you just want to find out where it's coming from. And then there's just this there's this overwhelming sadness that you, you mourn with the world. And then there's a release. And you feel almost guilty about having that release because now you know what it was. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I don't know if that's, you know, it all depends on how you look at it, you know, but with, with some of Steve's dreams, it's kind of cool that he can, he can talk to me. And if I don't have the answers, I'm, I'm well fine with backing away and going, not my category, man, but I have somebody who will. And I know now I have the outlets to go to. It's time trusted people with specialties that I can go to and go, okay. And with it's with Steve's, um, I call him motorcycle man. Actually, I call him cool breeze <laughs> because we kind of called him the breeze because I was looking for answers. This is going to sound so silly, but you guys will probably understand. But we were just so encumbered by this um by this poor guy. I was hell bent on finding the guy because I could see like yeah. a construction site on the other side of the river. I could see flowers and trees and things. I was, I we wanted to up. find this guy's body so he could be at rest. Adam, Rob, I cannot tell you, man. You're talking to two people who were Google earthing the heck out of some stuff looking for, okay, <laughs> Steve, you said you saw a tower. Okay, I got this because we were zeroing in on it. In all the wrong ways, we should have just backed up. And that's when about four days after, I mean, he had a motorcycle, remember, Steve? And we're yeah. looking up types of motorcycles. Kawasaki with orange and black paint on the gas yep. tank. I mean, I found the actual crazy. motorcycle, the, the model of it and things. And this is this is this is the important little tidbit on this story that will tell you that when you can just back up and, and let it go for a second and you think you go through your Rolodex of people. 
And I just opened myself up and I said, okay, who do I talk to on this? And the first name that popped into my mind, I said, I got to go see her. And a phone call came and somebody asked me if I wanted to go to a place that this person happened to be. And I went, okay, there's my answer. You know, I mean, you, when you just put it out there, like the intent, I sat in front of my friend and she happens to be uh, a medium amongst other things. And I said, well, I'm not really here for me, honey. I said, I have a friend. He has given me permission to click into his energy, which is Steve and I had talked about, and you have to have permission. And we got that. And I said, this is the issue. Um, I'm here for him. What are you getting? And I said nothing to her other than that. You have my word of honor on that. Okay. She looks at me and she looks down. She says, okay, I'm getting a guy. He won't look at me. And Steve had already told me the guy wouldn't really look at him, but he definitely wouldn't look at her. And she says, you guys got to stop looking for the orange and white motorcycle. It's not about the motorcycle. And I went, keep that talking me to away. me, girl. <laughs> keep talking to me. <laughs> but, you know, she had agreed with me that when Steve wanted to talk to him, that he would have to go, you know, and it, before he went to sleep and say, okay, look, I got some answers. Come talk to me call him for for a little bit and she said cisco honey you know it's like therapy you know it's it's not going to be just once you have to keep talking to him and tell him it's okay to cross you got to you know because he 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 cannot forgive himself for things that he's done and he's scared to cross so we had to work on that you know so isn't that cool yeah. you know all these people coming together to help this one guy we don't even know. And to me, Adam, there is your long answer for your first question. <laughs> That's what I'm about. That's why I do it. Well, Cisco, you know? let's talk about your experiences in Gettysburg because this is a place that, you know, has always fascinated me. And uh, sure. we, we got to talk about this because, I mean, you do have a hell of an experience there in Gettysburg that you oh, had. Uh, I just love that experience so much. And I can't promise you I'm not going to cry, man, because it is just. Oh, that's okay. I'm an old soldier, but I got a heart, you know? I mean, I'm a tough four, five foot four redhead Jersey girl, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, that one broke my heart. And, and, um, all right. Well, the thing was, is I had a lot of, I don't quite know how to tell your listeners all this. I want to try to catch them up a little bit, if you don't mind. No, so no, they'll get the, absolutely. Uh, Go ahead. The, you can kind of understand. Um, I was bitten by brown recluse spiders, five of them. And I know you Southern boys know what a brown recluse can do to you. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got five in one night. And I fought it, Native American herbal. I didn't go. I had doctors watching me, but I was not going Western. I was just told by every ancestor in my head you have to fight nature with nature and this is what i did so i beat it but they told me that it had weakened my heart so much i probably had about four to six months to live mm. and he, they basically told me go home fill out your paperwork get your stuff in order so that's a lot to take on but you know hey things are things so i decided i was going to come back to new jersey and 
because I, my sons were older and I wanted them to go on with their life. And I had family here. And I thought if I put myself with family, that my sons would be able to make a better decision and not be so encumbered by me being sick. I wouldn't tell them how bad I was. And so I did that and I gave up pretty much everything I had in Alabama, left it behind and got them an apartment so they could continue on with their life. And I pretended I was fine. And doggone it, four months later, they didn't didn't pack up everything and come on out here too. So I said, okay, great. We're together. Um, They were very into the Civil War and they, they were very interested in it. And I said, well, since we're so close, we're about three hours away. So let's go do a family thing. But, uh, you know, like one more time before you all go off and get families and stuff. They're in their late 20s. So uh, early 20s, excuse me. And I had um, an ulterior motive because although they have uh, abilities, usually you'll find that you're real strong when you're a kid. And then you'll kind of lose it a little bit when you're being when you're a teenager. And, you know, in most cases, not all. And then you start coming into it a little bit more stronger, whether you're going to do it or not in your late 20s. And plus, I had lost my mother and father at a very young age. And I thought, my gosh, if I could just take them one time, because I don't do that. I keep them separate from the things I do. And if I could take them to Gettysburg, I just know in my whole heart something's going to happen. And if they see something, one thing that they can carry on in their lives to say there is something to this other side there it, this isn't it this is our journey and there's more then maybe they wouldn't be as encumbered as i was when i lost everybody when i was young if that makes any sense so i kind of told them let's just do a whirlwind thing it's going to be like one night and two days let's just do this and we were so broke and they had to work and they they were busy in their jobs and we kept canceling it and going and, you know, saying we were going to go. And every time I said, I, we can't afford it, something would happen to make us go. Like we get a coupon for half off a, you know, hotel room. And, and I was talking to my son on the phone, I'm outside of a, uh, outside of a, a, a drugstore. And he says, oh, you know, it's a, it's a Friday night, mom. I don't think I can get off. And I'm, you know, my manager and stuff. I said, it's cool, man. If we can't go now, we'll go next month. No big deal. Doggone it. If I don't walk into that drugstore, this little kid yells, I'm standing in line and I turn around and my big old purse knocks over some stuff off of the, off of the impulse aisle when I was standing next to the cash register. And I looked down at my feet and I'd knock some DVDs on the floor. This is three minutes after I hung up the phone and said, okay, we won't go. And I looked down and you're going to think I'm lying, but I promise you my hand up. Scout's honor, man. I look down, and what's looking at me is the cover to the movie Gettysburg. (laughs) Synchronicity. I'm not, I'm telling you, man. And there's two of them face up, and there's five DVDs down there. And I'm still telling myself this didn't happen. And I said, I just hit, you know, it's $5 movies. They're trying to get rid of them. And I go to pick them up, and one of them's Weekend of Bernie's, and another one's something else. And I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Because I felt pulled to go. So that connects into what I was saying earlier, that they will get together. Theirs will get together with yours, and they'll go, look, 
that crazy woman right there, she's going to go, she's going to do something, you know? And I just believe that. So we go and to speed it up a little bit, we're sitting, there's, I'm going on faith here. You know, it's Halloween night in Gettysburg. It's raining. They had closed all the federal parks that year. And it was, I think, the 150th anniversary. So this is like a lot going on. And we're just driving. And sure enough, if they didn't open them like the day before we left, because it's all federal park out there. You know, if it had been closed, then no way, you know. And I still don't know what I'm going to do. I just kept saying, if you want me to do this, you got to make it happen. So we're sitting at this little thing. And I just signed up for all the little ghost tours and stuff you can do. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's kind of crazy. It's like all ghost tours. And I talked with Mark Nesbitt and I met some other people and stuff. And I signed up for this one. And I said, if I can get on this one, I can get on the field because you have to go with somebody. There was more cops there in security than there was anything else. You couldn't just walk onto a field and go, I'm here to cross you over. You know, you had to go with something, you know. So we're sitting in this little place and I won't tell you the name, but we're listening to this guide and this guide comes in and he's this big ominous looking guy. He's about six, two, and he's wearing a Confederate uniform and I'm an empath. And the minute he walks in the room, I can feel this guy is jaded. He doesn't want to be here. He's thinking, God, I got to take one more tour on this. You know, that kind of feeling. And it just walked in the room with a man and I felt so sorry for him. And it was a very small group. It was myself, my two sons, a little boy, which I thought was so cool because he was so excited and he brought his parents and he's explaining everything to him. He was having a moment and it was awesome. I just love this kid. And then there was two people sitting in front of me and it was two women. One was a doctor and one was a friend of hers. So it was a real small group and he's given his spiel and it's raining. And I'm not joking here when I say this. It's raining outside. And he keeps saying, well, if, it's, if it rains, we'll go do this and we'll go do this. And I'm sitting, in the, I'm sitting in the stool thinking about I'm like, all right, guys. I said, you better stop the rain. You know, I know you're going to think I'm kidding. It wasn't me. It was just intent. And I said, if you want me out there, you know. So he's still doing his talk. And they give you little bags, man. It was kind of cool because everything's all about, you know, Pokemon ghosts now, you know. So we're going to go find ghosts. We're going to go hunt ghosts, you know, so they give you a little bag. And in the bag was dousing rods, an EMF meter, a little recorder, which like how verifiable is that, you know, recorder that they've only used like eight times a day, you know, and then um, some other things. I don't even remember. And they handed the bag and he's passing them out and he looks over at my boys and they're laying on, you know, just all man cool on the bench, you know, and one of them's wearing ACDC t-shirt and the other one's God knows what. And they just, they're rock and roll kids, you know. <laughs> and he looks over, he looks over, these are my kids, man. You know? And he looks over at them and he goes, and there will be no provoking on this ghost hunt tonight. And I went, okay, that's it. You know, it's like mama's got to speak up. Now I'm way on the other room because God forbid they sit next to me, right? So I look over, I look over at Joe, his name was Joe. And I looked at him, I said, Joe, Joe, Joe. I said, okay, you don't have to worry about us. You know, because the night before somebody had been punched in the stomach on this thing because he was out there provoking, you know. And uh, he said two or three nights before a woman had been slapped in the face. 
out on this field, right? Because she was, I don't know what she was, whistling Dixie on the union line. I don't know. But she was being rude. <laughs> Anyhow, hey, that's fighting words. <laughs> I told you, man, you know? So, but he was sincere, you know? And he was just like, he was so reluctant. He just didn't even want to be there, you know? So I figured I'd perk him up. And I said, look, Joe. I said, those are my sons. They're with me. Um, I am a soldier. I was in the United States because he said he was a soldier too. He was in the army. And I said, I was in the army. I said, we're not here to be rude. We're not, there, there will be no provoking from us. In fact, we come in with respect. And um, I brought them here, you know, to show them that freedom isn't free. And we're here to show our respect to these soldiers who fought because we want to let them know that they were not forgotten. And I was practically, I was getting choked up. And he just looked at me and that broke, that broke everything that he, that little wall. And he kind of looked up at me and he knew I meant it. So he went on with his spiel and then he goes to the door and he looks outside and he goes, well, by gosh, if it didn't stop raining, let's go. And I went, thanks guys. <laughs> so off we go. And I hung back and I kind of tugged him on the sleeve a little. And I said, Hey Joe. And he kind of looked down at me. Cause like I said, I'm short. He looks down on me and he goes, I see, he said, he said, thanks for saying that. And I said, hey, I meant it, man. And I said, but I got a, I got a favor to ask you. I said, would you mind uh, when we get out there on the field? I said, would you mind kind of taking the group off a minute, you know, and kind of leaving me back? Would you trust me to do that? I said, I'm not going to cause any trouble. And he said, oh, why? You know, do you want to get some like EVPs or something? And I said, no, Joe. I said, uh, I'm going to cross them. He just looked down at me and I'm waiting for it. He looks down at me and goes, really? And I said, would you trust me to do that, Joe? Can you look in my eyes and see I'm telling you the truth? And he said, I think I would. I said, cool. So we go. And how much, how cool is that, that he would do that, right? Mm. And cause he doesn't know me, you know? So we go off and we go off in this big field and do you, uh, I don't know God, how much you know about the Civil War and what happened right there in Gettysburg, but the one field we went to. Was this the Pickett's Charge field? Was this Pickett's Charge? No, no, no. It wasn't. And I can, I, I definitely want to go back there, but that was a little yeah. bit too much energy for that night. But um, we went to a field where these poor guys, um, they were running so low. They went and emptied out the prisons to help fight. And they had very low ammo, and it was pretty much hand-to-hand. And these poor guys were, they didn't even know what they were doing, you know. Yeah. Um, heavy part of the battle. And they ran out of ammo, like I said, and they were fighting with anything they could get. At, these poor guys, I don't want to get grossed, but they were basically picking up legs and fighting with the legs that, it, you know, that, that had been blown off of people. I mean, they were picking up anything that they could fight with. And this is one of the reasons I made the bargain where I don't want to see it. I'll just talk to them, but don't show it to me because I can't concentrate, you know, if I have to see that. So we go out and I'm feeling it. And my sons and I, you know, I pulled them back. We do our protection prayer because I never go in alone. I put all that white light around and I walk in with everything I've got. People say, well, what do you use? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm an old soldier. Give me everything. You know what I mean? Just give me everything. So I take my angels, my guides, every bit of good I can get my hands on. And we go walking in there. 
and I tug on Joe's little jacket again. And we walk into this great big tree. I mean, the thing, I couldn't put my arms around it. Probably take four or five people, maybe four, to put your arms around this thing. It's so huge. And I said, Joe, this tree. And he turns around and he goes right into guide mode and he says, oh, that's a witness tree. That tree was here and it saw the whole battle and everything. And he just spills off this big thing and I'm clicking in. And I said, yeah, Joe, I know they're sitting in it. Go on, let me be. And he looks up and he looks at me and he kind of just smiles and he takes the crowd away and leaves me there. And then it happened. Now, people say, why you? Are you special? No, I am not special. I walked in with good intent and I had people with me, guides, spirit guides, whatever you want to call that had good intent. And I really think that if you run six tours a day and you have people coming in there and they're speaking to these guys and if they are in a place where they can hear it or because you don't know, there's a whole different, there's residual that's not even there. You've got your energy, your leftover energy. I'm talking about spirits that were human beings that passed and are just there because they don't know what else to do, not stuck in a loop or anything else. And then these people come in day after day and ask them rude questions in the way we speak today, in the way we dress today, and ask them questions like, what was the war like? You know, or who did you fight? What's it feel like to be shot? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's rude, dude. Right. Right. You know, stuff I wouldn't say to somebody at the grocery store, you know, and it just breaks my heart. So I went in and again, I mean, well, what I have, I can hear spirit. Now, this is going to be a little weird, but just bear with me. I can hear spirits if they have crossed and they come back and want to give a message to somebody which is i know that sounds odd but i can hear that i do not have the ability to hear them if they are stuck in their death state and i can't explain that but that's just the way it's always been okay Mm -hmm. um so i needed to have something to help me communicate because i didn't have my usual people around that can hear them and explain to me what's going on. And then I add it to the feeling I'm having. And then I can communicate, which is just bear with me. This makes sense in a minute. So I had the EMF in my hand and I pointed it toward the tree. And I said, if there's anybody here willing to listen to me, please light this up. And it went all the way up and back down again. It didn't go up and stay. It went back down. I said, okay, cool. You know, well, I didn't say cool, but I said, okay, you know, to myself, this is good. They're on board. At least somebody is. And I said, I'm going to set this down at my feet and I'm going to try this. These are dowsing rods. Can you show me if I hold these? Can you show me what a yes would be if you're willing to answer me? And they crossed them and then they uncrossed. And I just stuck with that because the reason I chose the dowsing rods is I thought that they, from their time, they may be more familiar with those rather than having a bunch of cameras flashing and electronic equipment that they didn't understand. I mean, I'm already a woman standing in front of them wearing pants. 
you know, if you think about their time, mm-hmm. that went against everything that they knew. Right. And I was trying to think about them first because I tried to be careful with my speech because they spoke differently um, and things like that. So I said, okay, I've got your yes. And then all of a sudden when I said that, the EMF meter lit up and went down again. And I said, okay, I feel like I'm speaking to, to, to one soldier. I said, let me explain why I'm here. I am not here to ask you a bunch of questions. I will not waste your energy like that. I have respect for you. I was a soldier. I said, I realize I do not look like a soldier to you, but I promise you I was one. Can you read my intent and know that I am telling you the truth? The dousing rods crossed for yes. The EMF meter went up and down. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate your time. Please work with me here. You know, and that's basically how we started it. And I remember at one point in time, I, my sons were not with the group, but they were off. They stayed about 20, 25 feet away. And um, I pointed at them and I said, and I told them my name and I said, these are my sons. I said, I was born in New Jersey. They were born in Alabama. And I said, I realize the battle that you fought is still going on for you. But I'm here to tell you that somewhere along the way, we all came together. And I'm here to help you. Can you read my intent and know that I am telling you the truth? And at that time, when I first started, I felt I had one standing in front of me. And as I continued to talk, more came. And somewhere in the middle of the conversation, I honestly felt like I had five. And then there was one really erratic energy that was kind of marching around back and forth, doing almost like a figure eight behind them. That was very full of anxiety. Um, I don't know how to explain that, but it was kind of like if you're pacing back and forth and mumbling to yourself, like, I don't know why you're listening to her. They come and they talk and they do, 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 and it's just back and forth. So I tried to pay attention to what was in front of me, and I felt like I needed to kind of get control a little bit. And I said, can I speak to the uh, highest ranking gentleman, please? And the energy shifted, and then I got a yes with both. Now, during this conversation, and it was a 30, 35-minute conversation, so I can't remember every question, but it basically went along that route. And every time they said yes, the dousing rods would cross and uncross, and the EMF meter would go up back down. And I asked them a few pointed questions like, do you ever see that things look different around you. And yes, yes. And it got real bright. Like almost when they were saying, yes, everything got brighter, you know? And Steve, did you fall asleep? Yes, Steve, you're not not dying on us, are you? No, no, I'm fine. I'm just wrapped attention here. I thought he fell out. So it kind of, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but I don't know how an EF meter could almost seem brighter, but it was almost like a power surge, kind of. Does that make sense? Sure. Like when they were really, really excited, it went, yes, you know? And at one point in time, 
I tried to close my eyes most of the time because I was, unless I was looking for the answer because I was trying to feel what was going on in front of me. And at one time I opened up my eyes and scared me to death. Joe was standing next to me in that uniform. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to cuss, but oh man, you know, <laughs> it's like scary. But he set down a little pen flashlight at my feet like he was in it you know he was in it. he was seeing what was going on and i guess he just thought that if he put the flashlight in front of my feet maybe they would turn that on or it would help or something i don't know i didn't talk to him i just watched him do it but doggone it the next question that it was a yes dowsing ross crossed and uncrossed the emf meter went up and down and then the flashlight went on and off and i'm like okay man <laughs> you know, this is like amazing but you try to contain yourself because you want to stay in the moment with these guys, you know. Yeah. So I explained why I was there. And I, I had asked them um, about, you know, did they see things look differently sometimes? I said, I know the tree is the same. And I know, you know, like the hedgerow is the same. And you all are the same. But do you notice people speak differently and are dressed differently? Because I'm trying to edge into the whole, guess what, you're dead. You know, because sometimes they don't know they're dead. And I couldn't tell whether they knew it or not, you know, and I was trying to ease into it because you just don't walk up and start a conversation like that. You know, I'm trying to be compassionate here. And they did. They noticed things were different. And I said, well, I apologize for that. And I apologize that people are asking you impertinent questions and and being rude. And, you know, they they just don't understand. I said, but I do. And I'm here. And um, I had asked him if they had ever remember ever seeing a light. And I just got a kind of a, like it's hard to explain, kind of a, a, a dull feeling from that question. I mean, nothing moved, nothing lit up like they were thinking about it, kind of, you know. And I said, OK. And that kind of triggered in my heart that these poor guys were in battle. And I, Lord knows what they went through before that, how long they'd been from home. It had probably been a long time since they had thought of, if you think about it, the light is love, you know, and it's, it's, it's everything good, however you want to put it, energy, the divine creator, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's good. It's, the, you know, the light is good. So I had to try to get them to think about something that was good. So I said, um, do you have loved ones that you miss? Yes. And then I got some hesitation. Everything kind of went erratic at that moment. Not everything lit up the same way. So I was thinking they all might have had a different answer there. And I said, okay. Can you remember your parents and how you felt about your parents? You know, And then the one I mentioned earlier that was kind of doing a figure eight behind, he had stopped walking and he was listening, but he was kind of hanging back. And that's when I almost really lost it and almost I lost all my military bearing. I almost started to cry. I'm pretty sure I had tears running down my face at this time, but I hadn't lost it. Yeah. And the guy thinks, and I got this so strong, who could love me? Who could love me after all I've done? And I kind of focused yeah. on him. I kind of focused on him for a minute because I could see where we were going with this. And I said, listen, man, I was a soldier. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you all the things that I've done and I've seen, but you were doing your job. You were fighting for your country. You were fighting for your beliefs. You joined because you didn't think there was anything else you could do. Everybody in your town joined in. How could you not? 
And then once you got in it, you were fighting for the man standing next to you, just like every soldier that walked before you or has walked after you. Right. Can you read intent and understand that? And the guy was listening to me. And I said, honey, because <laughs> I'm just so open. I said, honey, I need you to look at me. And I need you to try to remember what love felt like. And then it clicked in my head. He was an orphan. He never had any family. I said, did you ever own a dog? Did you ever have a dog? Did you fight next to somebody you felt like was your brother? And right then he opened up. And I said, I got him. You know, he, he had somebody he felt like was a brother to him. And I said, people that you fought with, that was your family. And I said, I need everybody to focus in on that. And I need everybody to focus in on that feeling. I said, do you remember what it felt like to hug somebody? And the minute they thought of that, we were connected to that love energy. And I just looked up and I said, all of your angels, all of my angels, I said, you come and get them. You come and get them. You come and get them. Mm. And right then you felt this, it was like a wind, but it was less thin, like full, like a vacuumy kind of thing. And you could feel them going. You could feel it. You could feel it going. And I heard this click, click, click. And I couldn't understand what that click, click, click was at first, but it was a click, click, click. And I knew I'd heard it before, but I didn't know what it was. And just at the end, when I got this whoosh, I'm looking down and I'm locked in. My elbows are locked in holding these dousing rods close to me because I just I thought I would fall over if I didn't, you know, and I'm just holding these things and they're moving. And I thought they were bouncing from the pole. That was the, my first thought. And I'm wearing a thick, heavy leather jacket, man. And these things just kept coming and they crossed over each other and they kept coming like they were pushing up my arms. They went up to my arms and they just squeezed and then they let go. And that was it. And it was just this vacuum. I'm shaking all over just telling you. Wow. And then they, it felt like they just went out. And I realized I just got a hug from a ghost on the battlefield in Gettysburg on Halloween night. <laughs> I love it. Every time I hear that story, it just. It gives me chills. What an experience. I mean, honestly. How awesome is that, man? How awesome is that? And I'll tell you two more things and I'll shut up. The click, click, click. I shot out of, a, 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 you know, a, a deep sleep one night. And I remembered where I heard that click. And that click, click, click was um, the same sound as when we used to go, um, we had to go into a building and, and lay all our rifles against each other. And mm. I think they left their I think they left the right their their weapons behind, man. Hmm. That's just That's a thought. That's interesting. Hmm. That's just a thought, but I think they dropped them. I think after 150 years, those poor, poor guys dropped and left their weapons behind to let go. I mean, that's like I said, it's just a theory. I could be wrong. Steve <laughs> about that. Yeah. What have you experienced at battlefields? Have you, I mean, have you a lot of experience? Yeah. Um, I like to go to um, Chickamauga there in North Georgia. Close to oh. where I'm from. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I've never felt anything like she's felt there. I don't feel anything 
benevolent, let's say, or any peaceful spirits wanting to cross over. There's some evil down there in that battlefield. Uh, if you've heard the legend of old Green Eyes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is some sort of monster that, that prowls there around Stodgrass Hill and, and the tower uh-huh. and things. And apparently some of the stories I've heard, they saw whatever this is in there prior to the Civil War. So it was just opportunistic waiting for something to happen. But Yeah, having grown uh, up there, I was like, I, I don't know. I never took too much stock in it because you always heard about it. But, you, but then it was always just like... Uh, just stories somebody would tell, and then they would say it was swamp gas and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, maybe there's I more to it. <laughs> um, I talked to one of the park rangers down there years ago. I think he's since retired, and he yeah. had just enough stories to fill a book. The things that he had seen and heard. There was like a lady in a white dress, and uh-huh. I think she was missing her head or something like that. There's all kinds of different stories and then uh he was telling me about some uh teenagers maybe college kids that had broke into the tower one night mm-hmm. they were going to climb up to the top of it and uh one guy something happened in there that scared him so bad he ran out one of the windows not realizing he was on the like the second or third story up and uh messed himself up really good but it's just that's one of those places I've been there like in the evening when the, the fog is starting to roll in, the mist and stuff, and you can hear things. I mean, you hear conversations. I've heard uh, mm. stray gunshots. I've heard people yelling. Of course, it is North Georgia, so that's maybe not jab in there but um oh man I mean, well have you got can i from ask the staff, a what i said makes sense people go out and shoot their guns and yeah and uh yell at each other and stuff in the woods but uh, there's, there's something there there's definitely something going on there yeah i've been there can i've been there many times sure i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt but no, before ahead. you left that thought i just wanted to ask you this if you guys have ever thought because we've got kind of a round table of you know, wise people here, you know, talk so I can ask. Uh, you're aware that when you have a battlefield like that, not only do you have everything that's ever happened on that ground, but, you know, Native Americans will tell you some ground is just bad, you know, and yeah. bad things uh, tend to happen there. It draws negative, but yeah. that's not the question. The question is, are you aware that when battles like that go on, there are things that feed on negative energy that hold these spirits back? Yeah. Yeah, I, okay. I have I have heard that kind of thing before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're there, they're very not too happy that you're there to release them. So that's a lot of people won't go in. If you ever have a chance to get um Patrick Burke on, he does a lot of battlefield rescue, him and his crew. In fact, he's given up everything else just to do that. And he will tell you some wonderful stories about Aliens being there. I'm one of those people that believe all this is connected. People like to separate the paranormal, but I believe that it's not paranormal. I believe it's just a natural thing that happens. But um, he will tell you that he's had to fight some things to get these spirits uh, away because they want them to keep Hmm. repeating and going through the agony because it's uh, food, you know? Didn't we talk about that once, Steve? About, you know, the black guy coming down? There's, there's soul food, man. Things soul that are there, things that are sent there, and things that are drawn there. You can run into all kinds of different 
circumstances yeah. there. And I've also noticed in a lot of my research, I've read other people's articles about this too, is places that have names that will attract you, you know, Devil's Tower, Devil's Mountain, Satan's Staircase. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of things will have a name like that for a reason, whether it goes back to Native Americans or before. And it's like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Were things attracted there because of the name or did it get the name because of the things that are there? Like and uh, I know Lord Coleman has written extensively about the name game. And there's some yeah. things like that that just continually pop up. And I'm going to give you one that's, it sounds funny, but when you look into it, um, when I was a kid, particularly there in the South, we had Piggly Wiggly grocery stores. Do, do, do my, you guys remember what I'm talking about? Hey, we still have one right down the road. Still have them? Okay. Well, that's just what I one. thought. They're still around. <laughs> yeah. They're not as prevalent as they once were. But if you go, like, see into Google and type in Piggly Wiggly and, like, fight or altercation, stabbing, there's always trouble at a Piggly Wiggly. I don't know if it's just because of the neighborhoods where they put them or if there's something – you know, at the Piggly Wiggly, it just makes people go berserk. Yeah, Walmart's <laughs> kind of getting like that now, though, if you really think about it. Because, yeah. like, they say that Walmart is, I mean, wherever a Walmart is, people will protest if a Walmart's coming into a town because they don't want yeah. the crime that it brings into the town. Like, it, the Walmart, like, bad things will happen in Walmart parking lots. Like, for instance, just as an aside, I was in a Walmart parking lot, and I look over, and there's a burnt-out car right in front of me. Like, I'm like, what in the world is going on in this parking lot? Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. I I think it may have something to do with us. Maybe we create these things as we go through. And, and like, like just the added emotions and all these things that we bring to it. But yeah, I do believe that there are places definitely on the earth, like vortices. I mean, think like the, uh, yeah. the Scott, the, uh, skinwalker ranch, for instance, yeah. you know, that place is just weird as hell. And we were talking about with another guest, uh, Chris Wolford talk about an area in, in, uh, Southern Michigan that, is just, I mean, weird stuff just happens in these in these in these places. Um, have you ever done any research on the Isetti Ranch? Isetti, yeah, yeah, I know of it. Yeah, okay, I'm scheduled to go there next month. I'm really looking forward to it. It's is not that too in far from Washington I'm- State? Washington State, I'm going to yeah. spend four nights there. And they've seen Bigfoot, they've seen Dogman, they've seen UFOs. There's, uh, lights like brown mountain type lights and stuff i'm really looking forward to it and i've been in the area it's up near uh, trout lake washington clickatack county um shadow mount adams and not too far from mount st helens but it's it's one of those places just when you're in the woods there's the woods is looking at you you know there's there's all kinds of stuff in those woods up there so it's it's got that feeling like you're being watched so yeah. i'm really looking forward to that i'll report back on that to you we're excited about it for steve and I, he ma- i made him promise me we were going to finish the book before he goes because if he gets abducted and this book's not <laughs> done i'm gonna come after him is that uh is that james gilliand that is yeah. that the guy okay yeah like he um, says that you can see ufos that like you're guaranteed yeah, to see them stuff. yeah so i'm yeah. i'm gonna I'm going to go check oh, it out here, my PS detector running and see, but it's, if it's genuine, you know, it, it should, cause I've, I've seen the Brown mountain lights and uh-huh. I've had other experiences like that. So 
keeping an open mind, looking forward to it. One other thing I want to touch on, Cisco and I were talking about this earlier. Um, Rob, I'm not sure how old you are, so this this might you might be excluded from this, but sure. Adam, I think you're about the same age as we are, maybe a little bit younger. But when you were a kid, say in the 70s or so, did you find adult magazines in the woods? I hate them in the woods. <laughs> oh, it was you. These are the reasons. These are the reasons, Steve. There you go. Um, <laughs> it was Rob. Piper I don't ever age. remember finding them in the woods. I remember them. Well, I remember a friend and I looking at them in the woods, but you know, this. I well, I, I was a kid more in the eighties, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of probably already started to phase out by then with the advent of the internet and stuff. And I was wondering now when they find a you know a USB drive in the woods with some really choice. <laughs> 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 right, right, right. In my formative, uh, all the time. Me and me and pre-teen. Steve, we've been talking about it. I found bags of them with you know kid groups yeah, out in the in the woods. Unusual for us to find a grocery bag full of skin bags just in the woods, right? And not necessarily near a house or a dwelling or anything like that. But I yep. guarantee you, if there was an abandoned shack in the woods of any sort. There would be at least a couple of porn bags in there. Yep. Yep. And we're just talking about what a phenomenon that was. And, you know, was there somebody that went around and left those for kids to find? Or <laughs> other people said they would find corn mags and beer, like a six-pack of Schlitz or something. You know, like, hey, you know, pack of beer. It's like some, some good Samaritan that was out there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Like some, some sort of demon, you know, like, uh, I'll lure them with porn and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know? and your mag and your fresh pizzas, man. He's got the weirdest uh, cryptid. Uh, Steve has got some monsters and some cryptids out there that are smart. They got him leaving fresh pizzas. Has he ever told you that? Yeah, I talked about the if they should be the black-eyed bikini models with the pizzas, beer, and a nice uh, metal album. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And by the way, that is like something that I've never thought of, Steve, so thank you. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember when the whole uh, like Phantom Clown thing started last year. Yeah. Do you remember the first thing that they talked about was that there was supposedly this abandoned shack behind that apartment complex in North Carolina where the clowns lived. And that's where the kids said the clowns lived in that abandoned shack. Do you remember and, this? Yeah, they said they found yeah. clown paraphernalia, which we never identified. Lights and stuff, and then the clowns would come out and chase them. Yeah. Wait a minute, Rob? Rob? Yeah. Yes. Did you just say clown paraphernalia? Yeah, and they never explained <laughs> what that meant. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it was a flower okay. that squirts water or big shoes. I'm just going to process that for a minute. What the hell does that mean? I don't man? know, but it terrifies me. Suspenders. Terrifying. Really big bow ties. Large shoes. Large shoes, rubber noses. What? Okay. That's creepy. That's creepy. Did you, Steve, did you tell them my theory on the clouds? Certainly you did. I don't think so, but go ahead. We've talked about the clouds before. Last time I was on a sack. Oh, man. I didn't already. You've heard Steve's, you know, the Black Eyed Children, and I'm sorry, but the Black Eyed Children freaked me out, too. You know? Now, I'm I'm going to already be upset because every time we talk about this, something happens. Somebody knocks on my door, something happens, and I always blame Steve. But I'm going to go ahead and say it just for you and just for Adam and Rob and your listeners. 
the black eyed kids, um, we all have theories, you know, we all know, and it's creepy that they have to be invited, like the vampires, like, is it this, is it that? Sure. And if it is interdimensional or whatever you want to call it, and they're being sent like the greys, maybe. I, I I think greys are like worker bees being, you know, by, by somebody else, you know, don't go in there and get that DNA, you know, that kind of thing. It's just a theory. But I think the black eyed kids are like that too. Now, what happens when they get in? We don't know. But obviously there's some kind of hypnotic thing, like let me in, is it food time? All that creepy stuff going on, right? And the knock. Well, I think they go back to whoever sent them and go, look, man, this is not working. They don't like kids. You said they like kids. Nobody's letting us in. What's next? <laughs> they love clowns. clowns. <laughs> Send in the clowns. They love the clowns. They'll let the clowns. They'll, they'll follow the clowns. Okay. <laughs> and then Steve says... They need to send in Playboy bunnies with what did you say albums and pizzas? <laughs> well, I think the key is is to say is to say that our greatest fear are the are the hot buxom Playboy models carrying beer with 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 uh, metal albums because I think that you know we talked about this a little bit on our last show which you guys haven't heard yet because it hasn't been posted but on the last show we talked about. I talked about how like these this these entities just reflect back what is what our fear and they reflect back to what is uh what we are worried about, what we are concerned about, what is possibly going on in the world at the time. So I think that's where I, I think that's what it is. I, I think it's like they just reflect these things that are in the consciousness. And if you look at, if you look at the clown scare, I mean, perfect. I mean, perfect for what we were going through in 2016, all the uncertainty. It's like the, it's like the trickster. It's, it's the eternal trickster model. Every culture has that, right? Like pan and Loki and all these, I mean, it's, it's just the same thing that we have experienced for millennia. Yeah, isn't so, that the whole premise the of it? the Black Eyed Kids, you had the men in black. Yes. Which at that time, the height of the Cold War, foreigners in dark suits with dark glasses. You know, it's like, right. again, preying on fears. It makes sense. Right, It's like exactly. you will not talk about this. Little you will not talk about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I, I know Steve's Black Eyed Kid experience. Have you ever had one, Cisco? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not no, very no, thankful. No, 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 no. But I'll tell you, the last time we were talking about it, because Steve doesn't really like to talk about, it, and I totally get that because I've got those two where you know they just stay with you. All you have to do is think about it, and your skin's crawling. You know, you've had those experiences. You know, I've not had the black-eyed children, but the next morning I was up and I was thinking about it after we were talking about it, and there's a knock at my door, and it's that knock. You know, that bunk, 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 bunk. And I'm just like, I can't say what I said because I don't want to I don't want to do that to your show. But I was like, Steven, (laughs) (laughs) take him back, take him back, take him back, because it does. Now, what I do, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I just start singing like a really happy song because I just fight everything with you know, sunshine and whatever, you know, when it comes to that, because anything that's that bad can't be around that. 
you know, if you're happy, you know. Um, I mean, that's just my theory. And I opened the door. There was nobody there. You know? I've had that happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. But I, after the first time I talked about it, I heard a scream outside my window. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's like a tulpa or something. The more you talk about it and the more energy you feed into it, the more powerful it becomes. And that's. Yep. Tell him, tell him the, tol- the uh, what we were talking the other night, Steve, uh, about the, uh, the guy who wrote The Shadow. Oh tell yeah. Tell Adam and Rob. Tell Adam and Rob the love. What's the guy's name? It's like uh I wish I knew Walter Gibson. Walter B. Gibson who wrote the, the shadow stories that were on the, the radio and paperback. Yeah, books the, like the shadow knows. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Well apparently and he wrote like hundreds of these radio scripts and novels and stuff. People actually reported seeing the person described as the shadow in his apartment, and he would see it too. The guy with the the black coat pulled up, you know, the the, the collar pulled up and the slouch hat pulled out, mm-hmm. red scarf over his face. Mm-hmm. Um, he would see it often, and there was even people that came to dinner parties and things there that would catch a, a glimpse of a man. And that's kind of what we were talking about, that that's almost like a tulpa or something, you know, where you fed that much energy and that much emotion, basically created a whole universe around this, this person, and it just kind of somehow they, they sprang to life. Well, the latest like, man. Have that in other books too, like Stephen King's The Dark Half. Or, yeah, um, right. Slenderman. Yeah, yep. Slenderman. about you know that. So it's it's not a novel uh, idea, but for it to actually happen, it's. And uh, if you remember back in the seventies, and I can't remember, there was a book about it. It was uh, one of the first uh, parapsychological studies it was done at Duke University. And they they said about creating a thought form like that, and basically they created a ghost, and then it would do things. They recorded experiences. Of, uh, what was it like, Daniel or something? Philip, they call it a Philip, the Philip, Philip experiment. Yeah, you remember mm-hmm. what Philip I'm talking about? Yeah, yep. Philip experiment. Yep, yep. But and isn't they found that crazy? That this thing they created actually would go out and do stuff and move things, and that's just. It makes yeah. you wonder, you know, how many of the poltergeists and, and things like that. Is it really yeah. a residual ghost or is it, you know, somebody's imagination is such that they've created something that's right, right. not really anything. Yeah, those are the ones and that really like, interest me because, like, we, we know the origin story of it. We know that it was created by someone. We know who yeah. it was created by. And yet it, started, it like starts manifesting, you know. It just goes to show the, the power of belief. It's our collective sorry, unconscious. Are you talking about Slenderman? I'm sorry, I missed that. Well, Slenderman yeah, and Philip. Yeah, all of these examples. Okay, like. yeah. Okay, listen, I got one for you. What if? Just what if? If we're not forcing stuff into categories, we're just open-minded here. I have a theory on that, and it's possible. What if Slenderman really did exist, and he was influencing the writer to create him, to where the writer didn't even know it and thought he created him? <laughs> You see what I'm saying? It gets back to that chicken or the egg thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's so many different things. the right point that he fed enough energy into it that he was able to spring forth into our dimension. Right. right. So that's just that's just about it. That's why I keep calling this a paranormal millennium because every time you answer something, and like I said, yeah. even in even in the book, we tried very carefully. I mean, I know I did. I haven't, you know. Like I said, I don't influence what Steve writes. I send it to him. He writes what he wants to write, and that's how it goes. 
right there. You know, there's no changing of stuff. And what I, my main thing was to tell people, look, this was the experience. This is how it happened. If it matches up to something, I mean, I guess kind of full circle here, but let me just throw this in here. When I sat down, what finally convinced me to write this is because I'm, I'm 55. When I was young, I was, you know, my mom got divorced. It was just me and her. And she was a working mom trying to keep, keep you know, keep a roof over our heads. I, we moved a lot because she was always trying to get that better job. My friends were books. We didn't have the paranormal everything on every channel, you know. We didn't have that. I had to go in there and research it myself. And I walked into a library once. My mom was in a hurry and she drove into the, we were a new town. And I said, mom, I got to get some books, you know. She pulled up in front of the library and I go running in. And back then we had what was called the Dewey Decimal System. You had to look everything up by number. And I didn't have the time. And I walked up to the, to the librarian and here she is. And I mean, typical librarian, hair up, glasses with the chain, with the little sweater over her shoulders and I said ma'am I know that I'm I'm supposed to do this myself but I don't have time could you please just point to me where the ghost stories are and she reluctantly pointed you know it's over there 333 through dot 38 whatever and I said okay and I ran over there and I'm looking and I'm so excited to pull down these books and it's like you know the bump in the night books for little kids and I was like so depressed and I'm looking through and I ran back up to her and I said Ma'am, I'm sorry. Those are for like the little kid stories. What I'm looking for is the true ghost stories. And she stands up and she looks down at me. She pulls her glasses down her nose and she says, there are no true ghost stories. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but that's why I wrote this book. That's yeah. why I asked for help. Because even though it's almost like in my lifetime memory, we're almost back to that point again. Because I don't care how much evidence you see on the on on YouTube or on these shows, they're just it's like we've out teched ourselves. We can't even believe it anymore. Like, right. is it a real EVP or are they just trying to get ratings? Is it a right. real apparition or is it a producer put it there? Is it you know, is this really some ghost that knocked this kid down the hallway that you know the cameras caught, or is it just? five kids in the basement eating cheese doodles, you know, showing us what they can do on, you know, graphic design. So I wanted to get back to that innocence of just, just the facts, ma'am, you know, yeah, that I, kind of thing where, so if a kid is having an experience, it can match it up to the experience maybe mine or Steve had and say, yeah, that, that was it. That's exactly what it said. That's exactly how it acted. So they can match it up to something true. That's what I I've always appreciated yeah, but- the true stories. I've always appreciated the 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 personal experiences. Experiences right. that that only people understand. And in the time that we have left, Cisco, I really want to get you on this. Your story about your great grandmother. Because this okay. is one that really fascinates me. Okay, sweetie. Okay. Well, um, it was right after my mom and uh, everybody split up and we went to go stay with my uh, my grandparents, my pop-up, my nana. And they lived in a little gray house and my grandfather was still working. He worked in a big factory called Bendix and my mom was out working. And I was young, uh, kindergarten. And the bus used to drop right off front, right out front. And my nana was great. 
but she she basically watched soap operas, and I usually watch them with her or whatever, but it was hot. We didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have anything like that. And I used to go downstairs in the cellar. I know that sounds weird, but it was just different then. Um, there was a root cellar down there, and there used to be all kind of canned items and stuff and big baskets of apples and pears and potatoes and stuff like that. And I always go down and get an apple. And I loved it down there because it was so nice and cool. And it was so hot outside, you know. And um, when my grandpappy was home, uh, he had a little workbench to the side and all these different cool tools and stuff. And he used to teach me different things and tell me not to touch a lot of things. And um, on days when he wasn't home, there was a little room uh, off where the root cellar part was and had a little curtain. And inside, it was a sewing room where my nana would go and her mom, my great-grandmother, would sew. And it had a big Singer sewing machine. And if all you youngins don't know what that is, it's a big Singer sewing machine. It's a beast. And it's got a pedal on the bottom. And you push it with your feet. And that makes the needle go up and down. And it was so nice to go in there. And my uh, great-grandmother, her name was Flora May. And she was almost full-blooded Lenape Indian. And she was just beautiful. And she... uh would tell me about all of the clothes that she was dealing with. She goes, that's the blue dress that I went to the dance in. And I'm going to have to let that hem down because it's a little too high now. And she'd laugh and she'd tell me all the stories about the different clothes and what she was making, this quilt that she was doing. And she'd let me sit on her lap and she would let me put my feet on top of her feet, would, you know, make the machine go and um, she, we'd go out, we'd sit on the bench and eat an apple together. And she had this long, beautiful salt and pepper hair. And she always wore, she called it a plait. And I know in the South they call it plait, but, you know, a lot of places they call it braiding. And she would teach me how to braid. She says, you need to know how to do this. And while I did that, she would tell me stories. And the reason it seemed to be so important to her was, when she was a little girl, she couldn't tell anybody she was Native American because she told me that they would come and take your things. And sometimes people disappeared and it was scary. And she would tell me about herbal teas that helped heal you. Peppermint tea would make your stomach feel better. And sassafras tea would do this. And she would tell me all these little things about don't forget who you are. I couldn't tell anybody who I was. Um, and I believe she told me she had to... Um, they almost, her and her husband pretended they were immigrants from another country. And here they were native and they had to pretend they were somebody else so they could keep their store. And, um, you know, just talk in the neighborhood, I guess. But anyway, she was very prominent in telling me that, you know, teach to me a little Lenape and teaching me a little of this, uh, the, the speech and everything. And uh, she was just a lovely woman. And she told me that she said, never get, you know, she says, women in their face, women in their face. And she would touch her face and she would say, feel it. She had these deep wrinkles in her face. She said, that's my journey. She said, why would you ever want to take a, away every smile you ever smiled or every tear you ever cried? This is your journey. Remember your journey. So I loved her. She was just a fabulous, fabulous lady. And um, often I would just have to be called upstairs to go get my sandwich or whatever. And 
Uh, we didn't stay there very long. We lived there maybe half a year. My mom got on her feet. And like I said in the Red Ribbon story, all of my siblings were so spread out all over and lived in their own lives. And we didn't have Facebook. You had Christmas cards every once in a while or a birthday card or a call. You didn't have a lot of family time anymore. And when I got um, to the family reunion, probably I was, gosh, my youngest son was born. So about 20 three years after we all split up, we're all sitting around talking. And I remember asking my sister, because they mentioned uh, that little gray house and it had been torn down to put in a highway. And that was sad. And I said, whatever happened to the sewing machine? You know, gosh, that was great sitting and talking to granny and, you know, learning how to do that about her and all the things she had taught me. And, you know, my one sister got really pissed. And I didn't know what it was. She just got mad. And she said, she never sat there and taught you all that. And first, honest to God, guys, I thought she was mad or jealous because she didn't do that It was just kind of odd. And I was just feeling around. And I was talking to everybody. It was like a big circle. We were all talking. She got up and let, you know, walked around. She was mad. And. I was telling the story and finally she interrupted me. She goes, hold on, wait a minute. She goes, you were how old? And I said, kindergarten, grade, you know, so, you know, I was probably, what, six, seven. And she's like, oh, and we went on talking and she asked me another question. She said, and you sat with granny in the, in the soap machine and she taught you let off me and all that stuff. And I said, yeah. And I spoke a little too, you know, just to tick her off, just wedge it in a little more. If you're going to be that way, here you go. Have that, you know? And then she looked up and she goes, no, hold on a minute. And she asked my other sister something. She said, listen, the reason that your grandmother would not go down those stairs and the reason that grandpa had to carry down all the cans is grandma was afraid of those stairs. And I said, yeah, I can understand that because it was those steep stairs. You had to walk halfway down to pull the chain out in the dark to pull the chain before you ever get in there, you know. And it had the opening in the back to where you always thought that somebody was going to grab your ankle halfway down because they could reach through. And I said, I can understand. Everybody was scared. We all had a little laugh about that because everybody knew what I meant, how scary it was. And she says, that's not what I mean. She said, the reason grandma was afraid of those stairs is because her mother, your great grandmother, fell down those stairs. She broke her hip. She went into the hospital. Then she went into rehab and she died there of complications. And I said, Oh my God, that's so sad. I said, I don't remember that. That must have been after I moved, you know, after we moved. And she said, No, it was three years before you ever went there. She never sat in that uh, that cellar and taught you Lenopi or you didn't braid her hair and she didn't teach you how to sew. She was dead. Mm. And, and I said, Oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did, baby. And that <laughs> is so cool about this because if they care, that woman cared so much to continue her heritage and to tell us who we are and to tell me you never forget and you stand up for who you are, darling, that she came back from the dead to make sure it happened. Yeah, she found a way. Wow. She sure did. That's yep. an incredible story. And, and the fact that you didn't know for like years that you just thought it was just normal, that it wasn't nope. anything unusual. 
Yep. And I verified it. I verified it with others that, you know, you know, she, she had been gone and I had no clue. So wow. that's, like I said, that's another thing you just want to, um, reach out because how many other people are going through those experiences and they think they're nuts and they're not right. Right. Exactly. You know, it's just normal. Well, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you so much guys. And, uh, Steve, where can people get your books and Cisco, where's the book going to be available? And when do you think it's going to come out? Oh, the book should be out just really soon. We're, we're finishing up on it. Uh, it'll also be on Amazon. We're going to make sure this one comes out in paper as well as uh, electronic versions. Uh, mine are still just in Kindle format on Amazon.com. Uh, strange Things in the Woods, More Strange Things in the Woods, and then my book of personal experiences, My Strange World. I've got three other books that I'm working on, uh, looking at late summer, early fall release on those. Okay, excellent. Absolutely. And and I think the, when Halloween rolls around, we're going to have you back on, Steve, for sure. All right, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, uh, thank you so much. Uh, stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out, and we will be right back to close out this show on Conspiranormal. My All pleasure. Right. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, guys. What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. So I realized what it is. I love so much about Steve. What's that? Uh, I mean, uh, other than the fact that he's just a great guy and a great storyteller and I love his books. Aside from all that, um, his, uh, his philosophy on, on, um, you know, journalism such as what we do is very similar to ours. You know, he's mm-hmm. all about just finding stories and getting stories out there. And cause we get similar emails like he was talking about, like, Oh, why didn't you challenge this person? Or why didn't you call you know bullshit on that person? And it's like because that's not our job. Yeah. We're we're here yeah. as a platform to to get the, you know stories and ideas, whether we agree with them or not, just to get them out there for other people to hear and analyze, and you know for our listeners to kind of scrutinize and just just to get them documented and for them to be there. And I think that's I just I love that. I think it's great. Right. I, I will tell you. I mean, I listen to other shows and. A lot, because not only do I do a podcast, but I'm also a big fan of podcasts. And when I hear somebody that I'm particularly interested in, I will get them on. And it's usually because I re- respect their views, and I think that their views have have something to them. Um, if I hear somebody that I just think, oh, they're just full of crap, you know, then I'm usually loath to get them on. But if I did have them on, I still would listen, you know. Right. So that was a marathon. <laughs> yeah, it was a little longer than normal episode. Yeah, I, I think um, I really wanted them to just keep going, you know, because we kind of <laughs> reached the hour and a half mark, which we usually that's kind of like our our maximum for guests, if anybody hasn't noticed. But 
but I really just wanted to kind of keep that going, and especially wanted to get that last story about the grandmother, and that is an amazing story. You know, so I'm really looking forward to their book coming out, and we will have them back on uh, to talk about everything that's that's in their book. Uh, a lot more. Well, maybe not everything. We want to leave a little bit for people to actually buy it, but it is what it is. Right. right. <laughs> um, I was going to read a little story about a guy claiming that he was uh, punched in the face by an alien, and he found proof of it on Google Earth, but I think I will just save that for next time. Yeah, I think we need I think we need some time to delve into something like that. Yeah, that's something that we really should give a little bit of thought to, <laughs> just like the time traveler. Yeah. Um guys, I'm sure Luke has already been herschelled. So we'll see if he's gonna be here next time. And actually, uh speaking of time travel, Ooh. we do have an interesting guest coming on. Now he's not a time traveler, but we do I have a schedule with Mike Suave who is written a book about the time traveler, John Teeter. Are you familiar with the John Teeter legend? Ah, uh, the name sounds familiar. I'm not sure. Supposedly he was a time traveler that uh, posted on some message boards in like around 2000 to 2001. And a lot of people spoke to him and he had this whole like political philosophy and, uh, claiming that he went back in time to retrieve an IBM computer from 1975 because it had some components in it that he needed in the year 2036. Yeah, it gets real complicated. Yeah, uh. <laughs> and we'll go into detail about that next week, hopefully with him. So um, so that's it. Um, Rob, tell everybody about once again about Patreon. Just make them really sick of it. Yeah, you can check out our Patreon account. It. It's... Uh, Patreon.com slash conspiranormal, different tiers of subscriptions. You know, you can get on the forums, get the bonus episodes. Uh, it's a growing community. So, you know, it's a place we can all kind of get together and chat, as well as, you know, you get a little bit extra from it. We get a little bit extra from it. It's kind of a give and take thing. And we would love to see you there. Absolutely. Um, I think that we will close out the show. And thank you guys so much. We will be back next time. we got a lot of great guests scheduled over the next month or so. I'm looking forward to it. Do not forget about Guy Malone's uh, challenges to the ET hypothesis conference in Roswell, New Mexico. Almost at Roswell, Georgia, because he used to live there. Yeah, don't go to Roswell, Georgia. But, uh, you won't find well, Joshua us. Cutchin, you know, is in Roswell, Georgia. So uh, we will, we will be there. And we'll be helping out. We'll be doing interviews. And just if you're there, come tell us hi. And we'll talk to you next time on Conspiranormal. I'm still tired.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.